When Thena said we're going to do a Jody Arias episode, I had to admit, I know nothing about this case. That probably does not shock anyone. So welcome to Cryptic Soup. You think you have a crazy ex story? Today, we're about to tell you one that is probably crazier than that. She's one of the most ruthless killers of our time. Jody Arias stabbed her ex-boyfriend, Travis Alexander, 27 times and then shot him in a bloody rampage. Now, as we near the 10th anniversary of the murder that made so many headlines, her former cellmate is speaking out, detailing for the first time Jody Arias' life behind bars. Hey guys, welcome back to Cryptic Soup. I'm Thena. And I'm Kylie. And today we're going to discuss a very popular case. On June 4th, 2008, a man named Travis Alexander was killed in his Arizona home. His murder and the trial that followed received widespread media attention because Travis's injuries consisted of multiple stab wounds, a slit throat, and a shot to the head. The medical examiner ruled his death as a homicide. But what happened that caused all this? Well, most people that aren't Kylie already <laughs> know this case, and we can agree on one thing. Jody Arias is one crazy so, Kylie, going into this case, you know nothing about it at all? Literally nothing. That's cool. Um, I mean, like, not, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's interesting always to get your your perspective when you don't know the case, because you're always, like, shocked at every step of it. I actually had feedback about that this week. Everyone was like, yeah, you knowing absolutely nothing is what you bring to the podcast. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I'm aware of that. Thank you. <laughs> Kylie is maybe not the most informed in the true crime world. Yeah. No. Not at all. <laughs> so let's just uh, jump into today's case because it's kind of a doozy and it's kind of a long one. All right. First, we're going to start by talking about who Travis was. Travis Victor Alexander was born July 28th in 1977 in Riverside, California. I like how he has all first names as his name. Victor Alexander. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he is a Leo. He's born on National Milk Chocolate Day. And he shares a birthday with none other than Soldier Boy. Soldier Boy. That was definitely the top of the list for me when I looked at that day. <laughs> Travis and his siblings had a really rough childhood. Their parents were absentee, abusive. They often would pick meth over taking care of their eight children. Yeah, so nothing better than to have eight children when, you know, meth is... Like if you couldn't take care of the, the first two because you have a meth addi addiction... Let's have six more. Yeah, exactly. That sounds like the perfect strategy. While living with their parents, they were poor. They often didn't have enough money for, fo food. <laughs> for food, clothes, and other necessities because most of the family's money went towards drugs. The home was essentially just like a drug-like crack house. Also, it was always filled with bugs and roaches, and it was practically inhabitable. Travis's father did eventually clean up from the drugs. I'm not sure exactly when. I think it was more like when he was a little bit older. But the sad part is, is he shortly died right after he cleaned up from a motorcycle accident. So Travis still didn't really get the chance to know him very well. Travis had a great grandparent, though, that really motivated him and helped him believe in life. His great grandparents loved Travis and they always tried to tell him and his siblings like, you know, just wait, your life will get better. And they like tried to help as much as they could. Specifically, 
Travis and his great grandfather. They had like this special bond where his great grandfather really believed in Travis and always said that he would grow up to do great things in life. And this might be part of the reason why Travis like invests so deeply in his career and the church and everything when he's older is because it's kind of like that someone believed in me. I'm going to make them proud type feeling. But while still being a kid, Travis was often teased and bullied. He had few friends, which, you know, you probably have to assume part of that is because I'm not trying to sound mean, but he probably didn't smell good. He lived in this roach house like everyone knew that he was poor, things like that. So it probably didn't lead to him being able to have friends over, go places, do stuff. He ended up running away at 10 years old and lived with his paternal grandmother. I found out the grandmother's name was Norma Jean Preston Alexander Sarvey. I love it. If that's not a doozy, I don't know what is. I love it. I'm not totally sure if his siblings all eventually joined him, but there was like one or two things I found later that mentioned his siblings living there too. So I assume that when he left, his siblings eventually did too. Maybe the mom just didn't want to take care of any of them, especially because with his mom being so absentee, Travis was actually like the main person that took care of his siblings. So when he, you know, booked it out of there, I'm sure that was even more of a thing for her to be like, well, I'm not going to take care of the rest of you. Go be with Travis. Eventually, his grandma introduced him to her church, which was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Travis became super active in this church. He said he finally found a place where he thought he belonged. He had a good study group of friends. He had a support group to actively encourage him. And he just wanted to be active in the church. When this happened, Travis also, like when he found a place he belonged, he also started doing better in school. He joined the wrestling team. He developed hobbies like working out. He liked motivational speaking. He also learned that he really likes working and saving money. I wish I liked working and saving money. <laughs> Specifically the saving money part. Specifically like, that part. You know, I actually I do I enjoy working. <laughs> how do you save money? Like, how are people out there alive? They're like, I love working out. I love saving money. I'm like, ha, couldn't be me. Right? No, nope. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Travis ended up using his saved money to take a missionary trip to help spread his faith before graduating high school in 1995 which is super common for the Mormon faith. You're supposed to like save up and do a missionary chip. So he was just following along in the church pattern. Like this whole episode is going to talk a lot about Mormon faith and the uh, LDS church. So you're going to hear me mention it a bajillion times. Just get used to it. Travis then went on to move to Denver, Colorado to serve for his church for three years. By 1998, he ended up moving into a faith home with other single Mormon men his age now, a faith home is pretty much a home that's owned essentially by the church, but it's like the church members and such. And it has single men all of around the same age group that are all done Latter-day with saints. their. Well, yeah, they're all Latter-day Saints. They all have the same belief system. They all are also supposed to like keep each other in check to make sure no one's doing anything outside the rules and also help each other actively find Mrs. Mormon wife and like just uh, live together to, to to stay safe, in a sense, and save money again so that you can keep going on missionary trips and stuff. It kind of makes sense, actually. It does. It's kind of like an anti-fraternity in my mind. <laughs> it's <laughs> that like makes the sense. complete opposite. <laughs> right. So in his mind, he was like, yeah, that's the next step. I want to settle down, get married, find Mrs. Wright. 
And a big part, I think, of this is kind of a personal speculation moment is the Mormon faith usually tends to have men and women settle down very fast at a young age and start having children. And that's partially due to one of their beliefs being that sex is for procreation. Like that's what it's for. It's not for fun. It's for procreation. Okay, well, that makes sense why you're going to start popping out kids a lot. But also, I think the whole getting married young is in the uh, LDS church, Latter-day Saints. You are not allowed to have premarital sex. None. No premarital sex, no sex before marriage. So, of course, they're going to get married at 19 because they want to have sex. Like, they're like, oh, I found this person. I really want to be with this person. I guess let's get married so we can start having sex. Well, if we're going to have sex, we have to have kids. Okay, let's at 20 years old, start having our first child. Oh, like our families are going to get mad if we don't have another one in three years. Let's have another one. And I do think that was part of his thought, too, is he's like, I'm living in this house with all these dudes. I want to start being active. I have to have a wife to do that type thing. To be to to have sex. Yes. <laughs> so Travis was not finding the right woman he wanted and he was dating around kind of. He just didn't find the person he wanted to settle down with. And he does have a few bigger relationships throughout his life, which I'll talk about. But he had an on and off relationship in the beginning with a woman named Deanna Reed. Some people would assume Deanna would be the one that he's going to end up with. Like him and Deanna met through the church. They went on um, like they, they went on quite a few dates. They were as serious as people imagined them being there. Like, OK, this is the one, right? Well, then Deanna ended up leaving to go on a missionary trip. And so they broke up two years later. She actually returned, though, and the couple got back together. So you would again assume, oh, if they keep coming back to each other, they're obviously going to be together, right? But after another two years in 2004, Travis ended up moving to Mesa, Arizona to be closer to Deanna. And because the Mormon population was bigger in Mesa than in Phoenix, so he like decided there. And the couple did something, okay? And that'll that'll happen in a second. But when he bought this house out in uh, Mesa... He ended up buying this super large five bedroom house that he takes over as he he takes over the master bedroom area, which is like kind of the whole top floor. And it's this huge master bedroom with this double door with a big lock on it. It has a bathroom attached, you know, with like a little hallway area between the bedroom and bathroom. It's it's a large upstairs upper floor. He then would allow younger Mormon brothers in the church to come and rent rooms at the house and like stay in the house because it was so big. And because that's part of that whole, you know, keeping each other in check thing, as well as um, he had like an open door policy and stuff. He's like, you know, like as long as you guys move in, we can all keep each other in check and we can keep each other's faith strong. He did have one issue with a roommate that the guy was being too forward with women and causing issues and stuff. And he ended up kicking him out. It isn't the biggest deal in the world. Travis did kind of like he, he talked about it, but he brushed it off in the end. It does come up later in life, though. Now, I mentioned the couple having backlash, right? The backlash was they had a huge, huge issue. They had premarital sex. Do you know that Mormons um, do something called soaking? Oh, God, I don't think I know this and I don't know if I want to, but tell me about it. So soaking is essentially when... <clears throat> because you can't have premarital sex, right? Correct. But sticking the penis in the vagina and just not thrusting is not sex. 
I literally hate everything you're telling me right now. <laughs> so they would do this and then they would just sit there. Like nothing would happen. I can't and fathom then, how awkward of a situation that would be. Right. But then in some cases, other people like friends would jump on the bed because they're not thrusting. <laughs> But other people are jumping on the I bed to move can't. them. Like I can't. I'm not doing it. It's not sex if I'm not this doing it. This is the wildest thing we've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> Congratulations. Surprised. I'm really surprised you didn't know. Have you ever soaked with anyone, guys? <laughs> Tell us about your soaking experiences. Don't. I would literally hate all of you that message us anything about soaking. Wow. Wow. I really hate everything you just told me. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm glad you bring things to the podcast. Really. <laughs> <laughs> random, random shit. It's okay. We're going to talk about anal sex a lot today, guys. So oh, prepare yay. for that. <laughs> well, the couple had premarital sex and I tried to look up like the values of Mormonism and LDS and all this stuff. And I want to let you know, the first thing the Google search said was how to become a Mormon in 73 easy steps. 73. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I was expecting like 12. No, 73. 73. Overall, though, what I learned, some of the restrictions and taboos of the Mormon faith. And again, don't quote me on all this. I could be wrong. I'm using Google. And like, yeah, I used a site that had Mormon in the title, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, don't trust me. But here's some of the things that they have issues with. Abortions, tobacco, alcohol, gambling, interracial marriage until 1978. They discourage piercings and tattoos, pornography, murder, adultery. <laughs> murder. <laughs> they do. It's not really supported. <laughs> yeah, they just really don't like that over there. They don't want piercings and they don't want murder, guys. Come no, on. No, they discourage, but you know. Oh, okay. Yes, not... discourage. <laughs> Um, murder, adultery, premarital sex, and condoms. That's a wild list. Like, some of those are straight up murder, and then the other <laughs> one's like, hey, um, guys, can you not use a, use, a, use a condom, please? Thank you. I stuttered because I was so uncomfortable with that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> um, the premarital sex and the condom thing kind of go hand in hand. That was what I was talking about earlier with the whole procreation being the whole reason for sex. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> this couple had this backlash, right? They eventually broke up again. Travis said he wasn't ready for marriage. Deanna was. The couple called it quits. Travis ended up working as a, he had a few jobs throughout the years. I couldn't really figure out what they were, but everyone talked about how he had a few off and on jobs here. But the big thing was he ended up working as a salesman for a MLM multi-level marketing company. And it is a PPL actually prepaid legal service that he worked for. I can't, I'm a little confused on some of the information given, even in all the readings I did, which I'll talk about at the end, but I can't figure out, I know the company rebranded and is still around today and it's called Legal Shield, but I'm confused about what it was called back then and stuff. I just was having a little issues deciphering things. So I will refer to it most of the time as the PPL company, just so that everyone knows. He also did do motivational speaking for the church and for the PPL company. In September of 2006, prepaid legal, the PPL company, had sent Travis to a conference at the MGM Grand Studio Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. He had worked his way all the way up to being an executive director of the company, and he was making over 100 grand a year. He believed all his life if he worked hard and, you know, if he did everything right, 
his faith and belief and the LDS church would, you know, back him up in his life and he would make it kind of exactly what I was talking about with the great or with the grandfather. Right. And stuff. So I think that's part of why he did succeed was because he had that little bit of motivation behind him because uh, succeeding in a PPL is fucking hard. Like, yeah. Or like a MLM type thing. Yeah. That's not something that's easy. You got to be a, a smooth person for that. Smooth talker. Yeah. Sales is hard in general. And doing something where it's, you know, you recruit, they recruit type of thing. These are just silly. And he was making bank on it and working his way up. Right. While at the conference, he saw this lovely blonde haired woman across the room and instantly decided like he had to go talk to her right then. He walked over, he introduced himself. He met this woman named Jody Arias. The two hit it off instantly and were inseparable the entire weekend from that point on. Now, who's Jody Arias, right? That's your next question. Her name is Jody Ann Arias. Jody Ann Arias was born on July 9th in 1980 in Salinas, California. She's a cancer. Her birthday is National Collector Car Appreciation Day. Put that in for Corey. You're welcome, Corey. Corey's also a cancer. Oh, shit. I didn't <laughs> even process that. You're right. <laughs> And normally I give one birthday, but I got to give a few because this one is like a weird day. She shares a birthday with Tom Hanks. That's only weird because we just talked about the movie Forrest Gump and the Mandela Effect episodes. So like you know. what you and you've never seen it. Like, I can't I <laughs> so can't get over that. Listen to the archives. But here's the other crazy thing. She also shares a birthday with O.J. Simpson, someone who did but supposedly didn't murder their significant other and Courtney Love. Someone That's who potentially did, but didn't murder their significant other. And Jody Arias says she did, but didn't murder her significant other. So it's just super weird that they all three share the same birthday. And I was just today talking to you about OJ Simpson. So I was like trying not to spoil this little secret and tell yeah. you they all share a birthday. That's crazy. I just thought it was so weird. Jody is the eldest child of Bill and Sandra Arias. She doesn't have a ton about her childhood and stuff, but... You find out a few things by listening to interviews because there's an interview on CNN by a lady named Beth Hawkins, and that was Jody's babysitter growing up. And she said that Jody was an exceptionally aggressive child to the point where she once hit her brother with a baseball bat over the head. Jody was also allegedly abusive to all of her siblings and her mother. And her babysitter like confirms like, yeah, I always like heard stories about it and things like that. But later in court, Jody says, no, these stories are false. And she was the one that was abused pretty much by her parents because they were overly strict. And like they would when I say abuse, we're going to talk about this really lightly right here. But like she considers the abuse by her parents like they were super strict. And if she did something wrong, she got spanked with like a spatula. Yes, I am agreeing that is abuse. But also back then we have to look at the time period. Parents didn't find that as abuse. They thought that was uh, enforcing rules. So it does get a little messy, but overall it's even messier because that didn't happen. Um, I mean, Jody was a really bad kid though. So I do also, I understand if her parents were authoritative over, definitely don't agree with doing that. No, but I agree. She probably should have gotten grounded probably like every day ever <laughs> because she's terrible. And we'll, we'll keep figuring that out. At 10 years old, Jody got passionate about photography. She started joining school clubs and programs to get more into it. 
and she tells people about her like passion for photography and she'll buy new cameras. She always wants to take pictures of people, things like that, you know. This did not do anything, though, to help with her aggressive wild side. Instead, she just kept getting more and more rebellious as she grew up. And it started affecting things like her attendance at school because she was just like out rebelling. And she was often fighting with her parents. And one of the reasons she missed school a lot was because something that caused her parents to be mad. She was always with her new boyfriend, right? She had this new relationship that was always off and on again with a guy named Bobby Wattis. While still in high school, she ran away from home to live with Bobby. And she was on and off with him. But here's the thing about it. At the time, Jody was 17 and Bobby was about 20 or older. This is not the only time Jody goes for an older guy either. She tends to, it seems like. But if that wasn't bad enough, once Jody started living there, she started cheating on Bobby with a man named Matthew McCartney, who was Bobby's roommate. Matt was a Buddhist that uh, convinced Jody to join his religion and connect with him on a spiritual level, because that'll help strengthen us, babe. Babe. <laughs> Jody is really big into the whole like mirroring people aspect, whoever she's in a relationship with. She either like mirrors them or mirrors their exes to try to be what they want. She doesn't really have a real identity for herself. So she latches on to what she thinks someone wants in a relationship. It seems to me like Jody just wants to be loved so badly and you'll you'll get that some point during the relationship jody caught matt cheating on her so she broke up with him to move to california like a different place in california for a fresh start which it's funny that jody got pissed at matt for cheating because how they got together was jody right yeah you see where i'm going here right jody restarted her life 22 years old she's working at the venata inn and spa as a waitress over in carmel california and Jodi often would fall back on jobs where she was a waitress because it was really easy for her due to the fact that she could just like flirt with the men to make tips by being like a, a little harlot, you know. While working at this place, she started making moves on her boss, a man named Daryl Brewer. Daryl was 42 years old. And again, she is a nice young 22 at this point. It was about 2001 at the time, and the couple supposedly did not start dating, though, until later in 2002 because Daryl switched jobs and he was no longer Jody's direct manager. So, you know, it was acceptable. Daryl had just recently gotten divorced and he was much older than Jody, but she didn't mind these things. In fact, Jody noticed that he was recently divorced and started doing something that will totally not shock you she decided to start mirroring Daryl's ex-wife. At first, she started mimicking her hairstyles, and then she started dyeing her hair blonde. And I don't mean like blonde. I mean like bleaching her hair bottle blonde. And then she got breast implants directly after Daryl's wife did. And then if you think like, okay, people get breast implants and dye their hair, though, that's not that big of a deal. Well, then... She bought the exact same make, model, and color of car as Daryl's ex-wife and started dressing just like her. Where is all this money coming from? And also, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, breast implants are not cheap. And, you know, cars aren't cheap. And it's really hard to get... It's really hard to get a specific car 
when you don't have proof of your income. Well, yeah. And if she's just working, okay, but he did have a lot of money because he'll go on to buy like a nice new house in California and things like that. You'll learn so. But also, I know breast implants weren't cheap even back then because I read that book by Holly Madison from Playboy. Remember that I, I, I love her? Mm-hmm. And... What is it with this chick? She have beer flavored nipples? Hey. She talks about when she got breast implants, she refused to let Hef pay for them. She like was determined to do it on her own. And she said she had three credit cards for $3,000 each. She maxed out all of them and still owed money. So like they were at least $10,000 in that area at that time. Because I think this is about the same year, if not like a year apart from when she did it. Yeah. And I mean, she lived in, I want to say nearish California, Vegas-y area. So I guess serving in California is probably way different than serving here. Still, I I don't think it would be that easy to save up that amount of money if she was struggling so bad and then she just starts this job and all that. I don't know. It just seems a little, little shady, I guess. Also, to me, it's like if he just divorced this woman, wouldn't you want to be the opposite of that woman? Because clearly it didn't like work out. He's obviously wanting something different. I don't know. Possibly. Daryl didn't notice Jody was even doing it and he fell under her spell. He, instead of breaking up with her, bought them a new house in Palm Desert, California to share. And it was a big, beautiful house. Not cheap either. Jody tried advancing the relationship after the house was bought with the idea of marriage and children. But Daryl pretty much told her, like, he's over that part of his life. You know, he's in his 40s. When him and his wife did divorce, he had a three-year-old child at that point. So he was kind of like, you know, like, I I have a kid. I'm not really wanting to redo that portion of my life. And this led to the couple breaking up in the summer of 2006. And around that time, Daryl decided that he wanted to sell the house and just end things, right? They they don't do that, first off. Jody was adamant on not getting rid of the house because it was, you know, what she wanted in life. But it was way beyond her financial status. So she had a new job at this point or, she, I mean, she had a new job when they moved there at some point. I don't know when she got it, but... She talked to her boss at the time. She was working at California Pizza Kitchen and her boss said, why don't you look into doing like a PPL, you know, like, why don't why don't you look into that? And that's the one that's the legal shield nowadays. So she joined in this PPL to start making extra money. And she found out that they were going to start a big conference weekend as one of their like first things to introduce her to the company in Las Vegas with other PPLs and with like guest speakers and all this. In Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Hotel and Casino. Sounds familiar, right? Mm-hmm. So Bottle Blonde Jody goes to this in September of 2006. And she meets this man, right? Who is also recently single. And they're going on this like weekend vacation. This sounds like a great time, right? <clears throat> Travis went up to Jody first. He introduced himself. You know, he had to meet her. He thought she was so beautiful. And then they were together the 48 hours of the weekend, like, nonstop to the point where the first night he met her, Travis even invited Jody to go to this banquet dinner that was being held for the top earning salesmen's salesmen of the company, which obviously Travis was. And it was like a big deal to go to this dinner. Travis and Jody had to dress up super nice and they like super did. He wore like a suit and everything. And Jody, Jody wore a ball gown to the event. And when he saw her come out in this ball gown, he was smitten. He's like, oh my gosh. She's so hot. She's so beautiful. She is the one, right? Holy shit. 
But remember, she's not a Mormon, so she can't be the one. That'll that'll come into play. Right. By the end of the weekend, when the conference was ending, Jody and Travis exchanged phone numbers and they returned to their homes. Travis still in Mesa, Arizona, and Jody in Palm Desert, California. I'm gonna try to paint you guys a map with me here. All right, are you ready? Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, Mesa's like right outside that. So, you know, just a hop, skip, and a doodle away. Palm Desert is in the southern part of California. So if I'm looking at a map, they're like a straight shot from one to the other. Like that's how southern they are in both areas. And then Las Vegas is in between both of them, but northern. So it creates a triangle. That makes sense. Good. So he lived in Mesa. She lived in Palm Desert. And they're about 200 to 300 miles apart. I know that sounds like a lot of miles, but it's because of whatever route you're taking and where in both areas they lived because they're both bigger areas. So it was about a four to six hour drive. I'm going to say let's cut the difference. We'll call it a five hour drive, right? So they lived five hours apart. Keep that in mind for how often they see each other. After the conference ended on a Sunday, that Monday... So literally the next day, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, Travis called Jody every single night. And they would talk all night long about their values, what they want in life, about marriage, all this stuff. That's really intense after just meeting. And they didn't have sex that first weekend, supposedly. I mean, We're, just, right. Well, I, it is a, a thing that's been said that they don't have sex until that weekend at the Hughes's house, which we'll talk about later, which is about like, I think two weeks after meeting or something. Supposedly, though, they were in separate rooms. They both had like roommates at the hotel. There was not sexual intercourse at the hotel. OK, all right, whatever, you know. Travis was uh, very proud of Jody because Jody was super upfront with him. She did tell him like, hey, I still live in the home with my ex, Daryl. Here's the reason why um, it's not working out between us. We want different things in life, all this stuff. Apparently, Travis told her, my advice to you is to leave him because it won't work out because you want different things in life. That confuses me because I thought Jody and Daryl were already broken up. So I'm wondering if she's kind of playing like a victim card to be like, you know, I'm so sad. Like I'm in this miserable relationship and stuff, especially if they just spent a weekend together. Or if he means literally leave. I guess. Yeah. But to me, I'm like. You, you guys are rushing this a little bit. Calm down. I'm glad you guys are being honest up front, but like pump the brakes a little bit, right? Right. On Thursday during the phone call, Jody told Travis she left Daryl. They're broken up and she wants to meet him that weekend. So the two made plans to meet up. Travis said he was going to go visit some friends for the weekend who lived in Marietta, California, which is about 70 miles west of Palm Desert. So when he goes to see them, he suggested Jody drives over to see him. Which also, if you don't visit your friends all the time and you're coming to visit them and you're inviting over this random girl that you just met like five days before as the friends, I would be like, um, no. Right. <laughs> like, we don't even know her. You don't even know her. Right. But anyways, the friends that Travis were going to go see were two of his best friends named Chris and Sky Hughes. They were a married couple who were also Mormons and active members of the LDS church. I actually read the book they wrote. They they wrote a book about this case. And uh, that's where I got some of the information and stuff. And because Sky becomes kind of important to the case because her and Jody have some issues, but also her and Travis have some 
issues. (laughs) You'll learn. (laughs) Now, the Hughes were adamant on following their religion. So one big thing they said is, yeah, Jody can come. But Jody and Travis have to sleep in separate rooms because you are not going to be tempted with premarital sex. No, no, no. You can't do that. And you can't murder either. Don't forget that, guys. Nope, nope, nope. Can't murder. Can't have sex. Can't murder. And so they were like, you have to you have to go along with our beliefs, guys. Like, be good. Right. Now, Jody and Travis were like, yeah, okay." Fingers crossed under the table. (laughs) Right. We're going to totally bang. (laughs) They were not planning on following the rule at all. Travis actually sneakily had told Jody after dinner that he was going to sneak into her room that night once the Hughes were asleep. And, you know, like they were going to spend the night together. Jody tells us a story. Jody loves to tell us stories, guys. You'll you'll find that out fast. Jody tells a story that night that Travis came to the room, snuck in, pulled down her underwear, performed oral sex on her, asked Jody to return the favor and give him a blowjob, which she did. But then Jody decided they were moving too fast and she got upset. Now, Sky said Travis told her the next day, like, hey, I'll be honest, we broke the rule. But what happened was I snuck into the room. We, you know, cuddled for a while. We made out a lot. But that was it. So I don't know. It depends on who you want to believe. Jody's always looking for the wow factor. Sky's always looking for the Mormon factor. So I don't really know which one I believe. I think that both have bits of truth and bits of lies, but it, it just depends. Obviously, we can never figure out the truth. From this point on, they were a couple, supposedly, and their relationship was moving at a super speedy rate. But they were only a couple to like them and the Hughes. Just 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 know that. The next week on a Wednesday, Jody and Travis met up at a coffee house. They talked about his faith and Mormonism. Travis ended up giving Jody the Book of Mormon and told her he wanted her to consider converting because that's the only way they could get married. Again, they've known each other for like two weeks at this point, but they're already discussing marriage. And it's about early October at this point. The two then went to the park and at the park, they were like in a car, I think. And they decided to do sexual things again. This time, he did not go down on Jody. Instead, he had Jody give him a blowjob. And afterwards, she like went to kiss him. And he's like, no, that's disgusting. I don't want to kiss you. (laughs) Okay. A few weeks later, they met up in Ehrenberg, Arizona. Where Travis told Jody that they can do anything but vaginal sex because it's against the Mormon faith like 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 no they can do soaking no (laughs) fuck off (laughs) they can do anything 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 your mind can do anything Travis wanted to have anal I will just give you that hint Travis wanted anal sex he's like yeah we could we could like you know what we can do instead of vaginal? I'm sure there's something. We've done the blowjob. Yup. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I <laughs> fingered you that one time. You touched my penis with your hand. Um. Oh. Oh. You gave me a blowjob. Is there something we are forgetting? I feel I. It's on the tip of my tongue. What is it? What? And Jody's like, Oh, do you want to? You know, take it from behind. And he's like, Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not how it went, guys. <laughs> but. With that being the case, they spent the weekend in a hotel doing every single thing except vaginal sex, according to Jody. They they did butt stuff. (laughs) The two then continued their long distance relationship of five hours apart, talking every single day on the phone. 
Also through emails. They email a lot. They don't text a lot, but they do email a lot. Jody was also studying Mormonism in the meantime, and the two were moving forward with their relationship. On November 26, 2006, Jody got baptized into the LDS faith by Travis because he was a church elder. The baptism was held in Palm Desert. After the service, Travis took Jody back to her place. He ripped down her pants and had anal sex with her against her will. She said the entire event was borderline rapey, painful, and she kept asking him to stop, which he refused to, and then just jizzed all over her back. <clears throat> After the baptism, the two spent a few weeks apart, not because of that, but just because they were both busy. But Travis had some family coming to Mesa to visit. Jody wasn't invited to any of the family events, and she was she was pretty upset about that because, you know, it's the holidays. She thought they were a couple. She did this baptism and stuff. She's right. like, I'm doing everything right. And like, I thought you loved me. I'm super confused, right? Also in December, Daryl, her ex, remember, he officially moved out of the house. So Jody's living alone in Palm Desert for the holidays where she's not invited to her boyfriends to meet his family or friends. And she's like, what the fuck? Like, I'm, I'm getting mixed signals, right? Right. The PPL was having a Christmas event somewhere near like Phoenix, Mesa, Arizona area. So she's like, oh, hey, what if I go to that holiday party? And she brought it up to Travis with the idea saying like, I could just stay at your house. And he's like, no, you cannot do that. There's no room for you. You can't come over. You can't even come to my house when my family's here. Like, that's a no. Jody instead was like, I'm going to do it anyways. Fuck you. <laughs> so she she plans this trip but purposely does not book a hotel room or make any accommodations on where to stay, right? She just shows up at Travis's house, unannounced, and starts introducing herself to everyone as Travis's girlfriend. Travis is fucking livid, right? He's like, I specifically told this bitch not to do that. <laughs> Travis was so mad that he made Jody sleep on the living room floor with no blankets, no pillows. She had to use her own jacket as a blanket, and she had to sleep on the floor next to the Christmas tree. I can, wow, that's kind of mean. Like, at this point right now, I would like to say I feel really sorry for Jody. She just wants love so bad. And she thought that she found someone that wanted that, too. Like, he converted her. He's doing all these things to, like, give her mixed signals. I think right now, if I didn't know more, I'd be like, damn, Jody, I'll be your friend. Like, I am so sorry. Right obviously this will change but i will i'll keep giving you guys my input just wait my input will change for sure in january 2007 jody had went to travis's friend's house the hughes again this time without travis and she told them that her relationship was feeling really rocky and changing for the worst she was asking for advice she was crying to them she's telling them how much she loves travis she said the relationship was completely one-sided she loved him and he was using her sexually Obviously, this upset the Hughes because of their Mormon faith, right? They're like, oh, he's using you for sex. Oh, my God. That is that is just as bad as murder. <laughs> he's practically murdering infants right now. Oh, my goodness. The Hughes told Jody she just needs to stop seeing Travis and move on. Jody then said Travis was making a lot of comments to her about needing to date other men and calling her derogatory terms like slut and skank when he would refer to her in these situations. And she like pulled up emails and kind of started reading them and showing Sky about this incident, right? So 
Jody said Travis didn't care about her anymore. And Sky was like, no, I'm, I'm pissed. No one calls my friend slut and skank. No way. I'm going to help the situation. So she decides to email Travis. First off, this is not going to help the situation, right? This this isn't. But go ahead. You be Sky. I'll be Travis. Let's email. Travis, with love, you are a heart predator. You take great joy in making women fall for the T-dog. You laugh about what you can get away with. It would scare me to death if my little sister liked you. In fact, I wouldn't allow it. You've crossed the line. You put it in Jody's head that I'm a man whore when I'm not. No, I would love to see you marry Jody. She loves you so much that she's afraid that bringing up anything that is bothering her or letting her know she doesn't think you are perfect would ruin all chances to be with you. Now, there is a lot more to these emails and the emails keep getting more intense as they argue, but it's hard to piece them together because they're like in random like spots. And the eventually everyone does calm down in the emails and they apologize. And I love that all this is over email, not a phone call, not a text message. Like it's it's straight up emails, right? They all then agree. They all love Jody and Jody needs to be treated better, specifically by Travis. Now, Chris Hughes looked at this whole situation. He's like, yo, how come this whole thing got turned around to like us all explaining how much we love Jody, right? Like this is clearly an act set up by Jody to make herself look like the victim in any situation. And this is wrong. Like Chris saw right through this whole whole thing. Right. But I will say. The emails really did exist where he was calling her a slut and skank, and he really was kind of like leading her on and stuff. But the way she approached it and Chris seeing through it, technically, like every single person right now is in the right, except for Travis. Like, that sounds weird, but. Right. I, I kind of see everyone's point. Yeah. Well, these emails, they brought them up to talk about them in court and they were deemed all like hearsay. So none of them were allowed in the court hearing. Now, after this situation, it helped because it allowed Travis and Jody to start calling themselves an official couple because she like was like, you know, tell me you're not using me by calling me your girlfriend finally. And he's like, OK, fine. So in February um, on the second in 2007, they became a couple officially. Right. During a weekend in April, they decide to go again and stay at the Hughes' house. Chris still believing Jody is playing on Sky's emotion and manipulating her and always feeling bad. And he brings that up to her and he's like, you know, like, I, I see this for what it is. Chris tries to explain it. So Sky's like, OK, I'll watch closer at the relationship this time. When Sky does that, she starts noticing Travis and Jody have a toxic relationship, right? She notices Jody doesn't like it if Travis is in a different room with her and she'll continuously be like, where is he? What's he doing? Who's he talking to? She'll like get up and eavesdrop on his conversations, conversations or like stare at him from the next room, see what he's doing. She was love bombing him. She was being overly affectionate. She had to talk about him 24 seven, be about him 24 seven. She was Katie Heron in that scene where she's like, I think about Regina 24 seven. I want to talk about Regina 24 seven. Like she's doing that. She is intensely love bombing. So Sky thinks that she wants to bring this up to Travis and she goes into a separate room. They close the door. She tries talking to it about Travis and Travis sides with Jody. And around this time, they hear a noise and Sky makes a comment being like, it'd be crazy if Jody was already spying on this conversation, right? They open the door and literally Jody was standing right there, spying on the conversation, listening through the door. (laughs) 
Like, I feel like that's a scene in Cheaper by the Dozen or something. It sounds so fake. Right. And apparently in this moment, Jody just like dropped the facade and she stopped being nice to the Hughes. At one point, Sky even says like she's never seen anyone look so spiteful and hateful than she did when Jody gives her looks. And so Sky tells Travis that Jody's no longer allowed in their home. She doesn't trust her. As is a good idea. Yeah. Um, following this event, the couple went to another conference weekend and there was another big dinner. At the dinner, Jody was getting really aggressive if Travis would talk to any other woman or pay attention to them. There was a particular moment where Travis ran into his old female friend named Clancy Talbot. Clancy got really drunk that night and was stumbling around and she fell over at one point. But before she fell all the way to the ground, Travis caught Clancy and helped her up. Clancy was like, you know, like patting him on the shoulder, being like, oh, like you're such a good friend. And she rested her head on the side of Travis's shoulder as a sign of like, thank you, right? Jody was pissed, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like her eyes were on fire right then, like the little like fire emojis in her in her eyeballs. She thought that Travis betrayed her by showing Clancy affection in front of all their coworkers. She's like, this is him practically cheating on me, right? So the next day when Clancy was sober, Jody trapped her in a bathroom and started yelling at her, being like, Travis is my boyfriend. You need to back off. You need to get away from him. And literally, she would not let Clancy leave this bathroom. Someone who knew Clancy had to come in and like be like, Clancy, why are you taking so long in the bathroom? And get her out of the bathroom because Jody refused to let her leave. Yikes. Okay. So now where it stands. <laughs> I'm going to say I like Jody a little less. That was a little bit of an overreaction, right? A little bit. Um, she's doing some kind of shady things. But again, I'm not I'm 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 mad at her. Yes. But I'm also still mad at Travis. I'm not happy with him yet either. Yes. He's not being good to her. I don't know if him being good to her would actually be beneficial to their relationship. No, probably not. But I think they need to be nicer to each other and just go to some happy counseling. <laughs> happy counseling, not couples counseling. No, they happy need to learn counseling. to be happy. <laughs> uh, Jody felt like she was being led on at this point. So Jody talked with Travis's neighbor and she talked with him about how they were approaching the idea of getting married. Travis's neighbor was like, huh, OK, cool, weird. So he's like, Travis, did you know she thinks you guys are getting married? And Travis is like, yeah, we're not that serious. And I should probably break up with Jody because I'm going to just hurt her in the end. And like, that's not going to be good. So you know what he does? He doesn't break up with her. <laughs> he ignores his own advice. Sounds great. In the spring of 2007, the couple continued to go into conference weekend retreats. They also keep taking a bunch of mini vacations together. Travis ended up getting a book called... Um, a thousand places to see before you die. And the couple was trying to cross off all the places on the list. Some of the places they went were Niagara Falls, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and several Latter-day Saints Holy Spirit sites. And you can see the photos of the vacations available online. There's like a infamous photo of them looking happy, cheesing it up at Niagara Falls. And they do look really happy and in love in the photos. The difference is, is when they were taking these trips that were like the fun ones in the book. Travis was super like affectionate and loving towards her. But when they would go on their work retreats, he was really reserved, almost standoffish. To me, I don't think that's weird. 
because yeah, it's I mean, a business versus a vacation. Yeah, it's a different, different feel. But again, they also met at a business thing and he was very affectionate right away. So I could see why she's a little confused in the situation because she's like, well, it you didn't yeah. used to be like this. Like if right. you were always like, like this, changed, I get it. But something's off. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I hate to say I said with Jody on that one. Point to Jody. So we're at like, I think Jody three, Travis two, or something like that. On who's the worst? Yeah. On June 29th, 2007, the couple officially broke up. But before the breakup, something happened. Of course, something happened, right? Mm -hmm. Jody and Travis supposedly trusted each other with everything and said they were an open book relationship. So Jody thought since they were such an open book, she should just go through his phone while he's sleeping, right? Have you ever had a relationship person go through your phone? I have not. I had a relationship person go through my phone while I was sleeping. And I woke up to them throwing my phone at my face because they said they hated me. My God. <laughs> wasn't even anything bad, but they were just pissed. Actually, that wasn't the same instance. What happened was I had a relationship where someone tried to go through my phone while we were sleeping. I don't know if they did or not. I don't remember. But then I had another relationship where someone wanted to go through my phone while we were sleeping just because and they couldn't figure out my lock code. So they woke me up by throwing my phone at my face was what actually happened. And then I was I woke up and I was like, do you want my lock code? And they were like, yeah, I was like, it's my birthday. And they're like, oh, OK. <laughs> and then they went through my phone and it was fine. So technically, those were two instances, but it was just funny if I just say it all as one. <laughs> Anyways, um. Usually it's not a good thing, though, if you feel the need to go through your significant other's phone. It means you don't trust them and it means you don't have trust in your relationship. And it means that probably someone is doing something shady. Usually it's the person going through the phone. I feel like doing the shady stuff because you don't trust them because you're doing something scandalous. But actually, in this time, it was Travis doing the wrong. Jody had seen that Travis was texting another woman and Jody claimed that she saw messages between him and this other woman that were explicit in nature and that it seemed like they had a sexual relationship in the past that could either potentially still be going on or was like trying to still go on. Again, they lived five hours away. He had now experienced sexual intimacy. So I don't know. And like they were already such a rocky relationship. I'm not trying to paint Travis to be a bad guy, but I don't also think I would be surprised to figure out that they were cheating. Yeah. So. I don't know. Just my my little tidbit. I don't know. <laughs> but here's the thing. Jody decided not to tell Travis she went through his phone. Why, you wonder? Well, because they were about to have a two week vacation come up and she wanted to go on it. So they went on this vacation together, which I can only imagine how awkward and terrible that vacation was, because I'm sure every moment just in the back of her head the whole time that and any moment his phone went off. Yep. I bet this bitch just glared at him. Yes. <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> what are they talking what are they, about? What are they saying? <laughs> Who is it? Is it a girl? Is it a guy? He's like, oh my God, it's my Mormon brothers. <laughs> right. They're asking me where the extra toilet paper in the house is. I have 500 roommates, remember? <laughs> Jody ended up breaking up when they got back over the phone. She called him up and she said, you know, it's not working out. And Travis was like, you know, you're right. It's not working out. We're not healthy for each other. So... They agreed they're toxic and they should break up. It was a normal, amicable breakup. They agreed to be friends. That was fine. 
that uh-huh. would that would be great if that's where the episode ended, right? There are so many times where I'm like, I wish it ended there. I wish it ended. They lived five hours apart. This would be a perfect time for them to just move on and just move on <laughs> and move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but instead, they decide to start calling each other every single night again. Those phone calls led to them having phone sex almost every single night. Jody then started offering up the idea that they could be friends with benefits. And she brought that up to Travis all the time. But he would remind her they are only friends and they are not together anymore, but they should still have phone sex every night. Okay. Okay. <sighs> Travis, I, I just want to kind of like give him a little bonk on the head and be like, stop doing what you're doing. Right. Around this time, Travis met a girl named Lisa Andrews. Or actually, it wasn't around this time. I'm sorry. I said that incorrectly. Travis had met a girl named Lisa Andrews in the fall of 2006 at an LDS church camp out after he and Jody broke up. And around this time, they were talking regularly. On July 4th, Travis took a big step and started a new relationship with the girl. Her name again was Lisa Andrews, and she was 19 years old. Now, I know Kylie in her head was like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) She was 19. Uh, (laughs) How old was Travis? Travis was 29, about to be 30 at the end of that month. And again, Lisa was 19. So, yeah, those like that. Jody conveniently at this time happened to move to Mesa, Arizona. Conveniently. At the same time when he's starting a new relationship. Conveniently. Conveniently. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Just moving five hours away for no reason. No big deal. But they're not related. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. Not at all. In fact... Jody said Travis was so excited she was moving that he helped her move. He gave her money to move. He even let her store some of his stuff in his house. And he was just really excited to have her live close by. Travis's friends were like, he did not want Jody living in Mesa. <laughs> like, not at all. Again, I don't know. Who do we believe? But if it were me, I would not be stoked if my ex moved five hours closer to. I, no, I don't like it. Mm-mm. When Jody moved into her rental, she realized she lived only four miles from Travis. She said this did freak Travis out, as it should. Right. <laughs> but instead of it freaking him out to the point of maybe like not contacting her, they instead started hanging out and having a sexual friends with benefits relationship. Right. Where she would <laughs> sneak over. Could have called that one. I could see that being the next step. Yes. Could you see this being the next step, Kylie? Oh, no. Jody said she was short on money. So Travis asked oh. if she wanted to be his housekeeper, come in once or twice a week to be her maid, uh, be his maid for $200 a month so that he could help her out with money. He even bought her a maid's costume. Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. Easy access. <laughs> Lisa and Travis were also still dating this whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure Lisa loved the idea that his maid is his ex who. All right. Yeah, whatever. Lisa was super strict about the premarital sex rules. So Travis wasn't being sexual with Lisa. So he was being emotionally tied to Lisa and sexually tied to Jody. Getting the best of both worlds really here. He is, you know, he is just being smart is what he is, Kylie. Right. He is. Did you expect him not to get his dick wet? Come on, Kylie. <laughs> but it's okay. You're being very, very rude to Why Travis right soak? now. They should have soaked. <laughs> I mean, did he even proposition Lisa with the anal sex? Probably not. 
Jody and Travis were starting to even have vaginal intercourse finally at this point. So Ooh. supposedly around this time is the first time he actually is uh, ready to put dick in vagina. He is ready. He has <laughs> done all the necessary steps. <laughs> Still don't know if the condom's involved. LSD might be a little mad about that, but LSD? No, LDS. <laughs> LSD. <laughs> It just rolls off like, the tongue. Wait a LSD. second. <laughs> I was like, well, that's kind of funny that they're uh, called that. And then I was like, no, that's no. not right. <laughs> I think there is one time somewhere in the outline I did type LSD and I didn't catch it for the longest time. I still don't know if I corrected or not, but there might we'll be a hidden it. LSD in there. <laughs> Travis was really upset about this whole thing because Jody thought they were falling more in love because she's like, yeah, he's finally willing to have vaginal intercourse with me, right? And so she thought this was a good sign. But Travis was becoming less attached to Jody and actually pushing her further away. And he was starting to be really upset with himself and telling his friends about this. He was confiding in them about how he felt like he was just breaking all the rules. He was not the person he wanted to be. He was failing himself. He was failing his faith. And he just couldn't resist Jody. Whenever Travis tried to ignore Jody... Instead of her being like, oh, that sucks. He's ignoring me. No, she would just like start bombarding him with nudes and explicit texts and like telling him the things she would do to him to try to like reel him back in. Get attention. Yeah. So he was like, I can't help but feel tempted by her, which, you know, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Especially if your girlfriend's not giving it up. So, you know, Travis is 100% in the right, obviously. I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) Um. It didn't help that Jody was still being really jealous and stalkerish to the point where she would just show up to Travis's house unannounced. And you would think like, okay, so lock your door, right? Right? No, Jody would just crawl in through the doggy door of the house and just still get in the house. One of Travis's friends once told a story about how Travis was like either out of town or like doing something and he had to go help and like walk Travis's dog, right? And he gets to the house and he's like, oh, my God, the whole house smells amazing, like fresh cookies. And there's Jody just standing in the kitchen being like, hey, you want a cookie? I just bake some. <laughs> he's hanging out in his what kitchen. The heck? All right. There was another story that Lisa and Travis fell asleep while watching movies together at his house upstairs, like on that master floor. And he woke up because he heard his dog barking and something like fall over downstairs. So he's like, oh, I'm going to go like check it out. You know, like Lisa, stay, stay here, stay laying down. He walks downstairs and Jody's just standing in the middle of the kitchen, staring at him. And Jody's response was that like she saw them through the window and was mad that he was spending the night with Lisa and not her. How? Also, it's on the second get floor. Get some blinds. But it's on the second floor. I don't know. People can stalk you on any floor. If the angle's right. I mean, technically, our living room is a second floor in a weird way. You know what I mean? And I could easily see from my car inside if I wanted to stalk us. Yeah, I guess. If our blinds weren't closed, we close our blinds because we are not sociopaths. Right. We have curtains. Don't come try and stalk us. Our dogs will be pissed. Now, if this already didn't make Jody kind of seem crazy, it just gets worse, right? The day after that whole event, Lisa started getting anonymous emails telling her that she was hurting her faith. And she needed to back off of Travis. These anonymous emails. I wonder who that could be. (laughs) Later had their IP address traced back to Jody. And this is not the only uh, like girlfriend of Travis's that receives anonymous like threats and emails and stuff. Also around this time, Travis's Facebook kept getting hacked. Wonder who that is, right? Probably just some random person, I'm sure. Totally. 
And then also a month later, Travis had his tire slashed. His first initial reaction was to call Jody and tell her she was so upset that she rushed to his side and helped take him somewhere to get new tires. Then she did not tell him she was going to follow him home, but she was just going to follow him home, right? Because they only live four miles away. She can do that easy. When driving home, Jody calls Travis and she's like, hey, Travis, you took the wrong exit for your house. And he's like, no. And then hung up on her because he took the exit for Lisa's house instead of his own. And supposedly that was the end of it. But then the next morning he woke up and his tires were slashed again. I wonder I who, wonder who that was. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Could you be more obvious? I remember I had this roommate <laughs> and one time we woke up to all of our group of friends had like a little shindig, but we didn't invite one single person because we didn't want to deal with this person. And the next day we all woke up to our cars being egged, except for that one person. And they were like, oh my God, I wonder who did it. That's so crazy. Oh my God. And we we're all like, God damn it. All right. Does everyone want to go get their cars washed? <laughs> it was the wildest. St- we were, we were young, mind you, very young. Like, oh, okay. Like just out of high school ages. But it was so fucking ridiculous. I wonder who that could be. <laughs> like, who did that? <laughs> that was. And I mean, they could have done worse. It was just like, and each car had like two eggs and there was like five of us. It's like they literally used one pack of eggs and we all lived on the same street. So it's like they literally just like <laughs> went down the street doing it. We lived about like 12 houses away. <laughs> it was great times. Now, Travis didn't contact the police the first time about the tire slashing because remember, he called Jody. But by the second time, he was really pissed. So he called the police. But the police were taking so long that he just didn't end up filing a report. He got he was like, yeah, I'm over it. Which also speaks for, you know, how long do the police take? But again, tire slashing isn't as big a deal as like, I don't know, like a murder or something. But don't worry. The murder takes a long time to solve, too. Foreshadowing. In February of 2008, one of Travis's roommates admitted to Lisa, who he's still dating at this point, remember, that Travis was still sleeping with Jody, though. So this is the first time Lisa's like 100% keen on it. At this point, all of Travis's girlfriends like hear stories about this crazy ex Jody and stuff like that. And she probably knew like, you know, he sneaks in the house and stuff. He probably tells her. But sometimes it's hard to like believe and fathom those things. And like, it just sounds so crazy. It can't be real. Well, then she's hearing it now from the roommates, too. And she's like, fuck, it's real. Yeah. So Lisa ended up breaking up with Travis and he didn't stay single very long. Instead, in March, he started talking to a new girl named Mimi Hall. Mimi Hall's so pretty. I love her. Now, in April, Jody decided to move to Eureka, California. Because she couldn't afford living in Mesa anymore since she's no longer cleaning the house. And her grandparents live in Eureka. So, like, not a big deal. Now, if you don't know, Eureka's in the northernmost parts of California, and it's over a thousand miles away from Mesa, so it's like a 15 to 16 hour drive. A little different than five. Well, and the four miles down the street. Right. So it's going to be a little hard to stalk Travis now. Probably not impossible for Jody, but a little harder. Travis was super excited knowing that Jody was moving away, and supposedly he even texted a bunch of his friends being like, Jody's moving! (laughs) And he was super happy because he's like, we can finally be done. I'm in this new relationship. I'm happy. Life is good. 
We do find out that when this whole move happens, that in court they read about there's journals. Now, when Jody was stalking his Facebook and like changing things on his Facebook and um, hacking it, she also would go to his house and rip out pages of his journal from when they were dating. And we find out that they kept these journals even in 2008 when Jody moved. Now, Jody's journal is an entire book about Travis, talking about Travis every moment of every day. Travis, however, only mentioned Jody twice. And in one of them, ouch, <laughs> it was like not a friendly one even. So also, you guys are like 30. You still have journals? I don't know. I got, oh, wait, I have a journal. <laughs> I don't. But a dude at 30 having a journal, I feel that's off. Not. It doesn't, it's not bad. Not, I'm not one with faith and stuff like that. True. Mm-hmm. I just find it off because he is this like high level marketing person and stuff like that. And I just, I feel like he's the type of person that would be like, I don't journal. <laughs> that's silly. I'm thinking about it more from his perspective, not from my own when I say that. Well, Jody's now 15 hours away. They've both moved on with their lives. Again, Jody's nice and single and Travis is in a new relationship. We should end the story here, right? This would be a great time for everyone to move on. <laughs> but guess what? Instead, Travis and Jody go back to being friends with benefits. <laughs> Again, they start sexting, sending nudes, having phone sex every night, stuff like that. Of course. And again, Travis was still dating Mimi during all this. At this point, they're both just fucking awful people. Like, I'm not even trying to be mean. I'm sorry. Travis is dead and I get that. I do respect him in the end a little bit. But also, he's not the the best person. person. No. He did not, not deserve what happened one bit. Zero percent. Zero percent. Don't get me wrong. But also, the dude could have not been so bad. Just saying. He's definitely a fuck boy. Yeah, he is a T-Dog. He deserves the name T-Dog. Who the fuck at 30 years old? Hey, I'm, I'm T-Dog. Fuck you. Right. <laughs> um, I'm really strong in my faith, though. T-Dog got mad respect for the man upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off, T-Dog. And T-Dog spelled with two G's to make it worse. It's like dog. Okay. Anyways, <clears throat> Travis was still dating Mimi, like I said, and... Around this time, he invited Mimi to go on a vacation with him that he had won because, you know, he had been doing so well in the company. He won a trip to Cancun with the MLM, uh, the PPL. Travis originally had found out about this trip before and maybe it was before he won it and he was just like talking about winning it or whatnot. And he had told Jody about it. So Jody assumed that she would be the person going on the trip with him, right? Well, um, instead, he invites Mimi but Travis had invited or at least implied that he would have went with Jody so when he invites Mimi and he a week later gets the ticket for Mimi and everything else uh Jody's pissed she is rightfully mad because now she also feels like lied to and hurt right so Jody does something super fucking spiteful and really gross at the same time they have an hour-long phone sex conversation, and Jody secretly records the whole thing. It is the most awkward phone call in the world. And if you're wondering how I know that, I have listened to the entire thing, and you'll understand why in a few minutes. Yikes. It is just as bad as you can imagine. But it actually, mm, this sounds weird, but it's kind of good that she did that, because I'll just tell you now, it gets played in court. 
and they have to play the entire thing in court. But when they do that, it actually gives people like an idea of Travis being a real person instead of just being like, like who they really are. Yeah. And it like yeah. brings light to him as a person, hearing his voice, hearing him talk, even though it wasn't like good, like it's him saying explicit gross things. Right. It gave him a voice and it kind of like backfired that Jody did this. It backfires for a lot of reasons, but it backfired for court for sure, because when they played it in court, they thought it would be like, look at how raunchy he is and gross. But instead, they're like, look, he's a real person. And they were like, oh, no, he is like oh, it no. dawns on you then. Because right. sometimes once you start hearing these things, it's all the facts. It's that. And when you're a juror, you can't imagine that sometimes same way when people are listening to true crime podcasts all the time. You forget that these are real cases at times or like you forget the severity of it and stuff. Yeah. Which is why we break them up with stupid stories about things like fucking Belschnickel and <laughs> like shit like that. Because it then when you hear the crazy ones, you're like, holy shit. Whoa. I need to go home. And like you hear Santa Covina and you're like, I need to spend holidays with my family this year and hug every single one of them and tell them I love them. Yeah. And appreciate things. And then the next week, you're like, I'll never look at an almanac the same way. <laughs> All these are available in the archives, guys. <laughs> On May 16th, Mimi told Travis that she wanted to be just friends because she started realizing she wasn't having the same feelings. Now, at this point, Travis is unaware of that recorded thing. Keep that in mind, right? Now, Mimi broke up with Travis and Travis realized, like, he wanted to be the right kind of guy. He wanted to be good. So he's like, hey... I still want to take you to Cancun in June. I promised you I would, so I'm going to. Kind of a stand-up act, right? In my mind, he's probably like, let's be alone in a room in Cancun. You'll come back to me, me, right. me. On May 26th, Jody and Travis got into an explosive fight. And Travis said some things to her like, I want you to stay away from me forever. You're the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Things like that. He tells Jody to never talk to him again. And they both keep keep referencing something because it's like an email fight and they both keep referencing something that was a really big deal that pissed Travis off but they never say what it is and we don't know but if you read all the implications it almost sounds like um the sex tape like he found out about it so Sky made the assumption and talks about it that Jody was blackmailing Travis with the sex tape because it would get him kicked out of the church, it would ruin his life, and it would make it so that he can't be with people like Mimi or anyone ever again. Because she also doesn't know that him and Mimi broke up. Keep that in mind. But um, that's about the last time we hear about the sex tape until uh, the court. So you get a break from that. <laughs> you know what we haven't talked about in a while? It's anal sex. We're not going to. I just wanted to remind you guys. We're soaking. <laughs> Just We're bringing so it all back up real quick, <laughs> letting you guys remember. On May 28th, 2008, a burglary occurred at the residence of Jody's grandparents, where she was living. Keep that in mind. So up in Eureka, a police report showed that a 25 caliber gun and a few other random objects were taken from the house. The grandparents gun was not recorded, not, not recovered. Sorry. Put a pin in it. OK. First time I said it all episode. Look at me go. Look at you. I'm I'm pinning less things because I'm just talking about them. Because <laughs> you just do it. Probably because this episode is so crazy. I just have to get it all out at once. Yeah. On June 1st, 2008, Jody started making plans. She was going to make plans to visit friends in Pasadena, California and in West Jordan, Utah. 
So on June 2nd, she rented a white Ford Focus in Redding, California, which is 100 miles south of her residence. She told the budget rent-a-car place that she's driving the car locally. However, just a side note, let's talk about it. When the cars returned later on June 7th, it was driven over 2,800 miles, so not locally. And it was also missing all of its floor mats. And there was what looks like red Kool-Aid stains on the front and rear seats. Should that be another one? It's never Kool-Aid. <laughs> it's never Kool-Aid. <laughs> or like spaghetti or pizza sauce. Oh my right. God. The car was clean before police could examine it. But that's, you know, that's all for later. You don't, you don't know why, what's in the car, what happened, anything. Um, Kylie, you know what we haven't done in a while? A trivia moment for you. Oh, no. What case did someone have decomposing body parts, remnants, like the the decomposing body remnant juice in the trunk of their car? And they told their parents, no, that's moldy pizza back there. Wait, I think that isn't that Casey. That is Casey Anthony. I think you've said that before. That's the only way I knew that. <laughs> I'm very proud. We have talked about Casey Anthony a lot this past week. Yeah. Jesus. I've talked about her at least like twice a day. Whew. Don't give her the benefit. Yeah. Casey, you suck ass. <laughs> Just reminding you. Jody during this time was planning her trips, right? So she reached out to her ex, Daryl, who is now living closer to where she was at this point. And she asked him if she could borrow two five-gallon gas cans for the trip. Daryl, of course, was like, why are you doing this? Why do you need these? Why can't you just, like, stop at a gas station? Jody's was like, Jody's idea was like, you know, it'll save time. I won't have to stop for gas, save money. I can get it all at one price, things like that, right? So she drove from her grandparents' house to Pasadena, like she had said she was going to do. Then on June 3rd, she stopped at a Walmart in Salinas, California. She has a receipt where she purchased a third gas can, some sunblock, and some facial cleaner. She then stayed at a friend's house that night and dyed her hair dark brown before traveling to Mesa. Who lives in Mesa, I wonder? Hmm, I wonder. Around this time, she called her friend Ryan Burns to solidify the alibi, saying that she's actually going to Utah, though, right? Like, before she starts going to Mesa, she calls him and she's like, hey, you know, like, I'm going to be on my way. I'm leaving my friend's house. Now... Who is Ryan Burns? Well, that's her new boyfriend. Oh. (laughs) Ryan Burns is this guy she just started talking to slash like dating. She met him through the PPL also. Now, she told Ryan that there was a trip or there was like a convention happening during the time of this trip near where Ryan lives in Utah. So she's like, oh, like I'm going on this trip to see you and to go to this PPL event. It's going to be fine. Like it's it's all going to happen, right? So Ryan's like, okay, you're leaving. I expect you. And, you know, however many hours it is, like 10 hours or whatever, I'll see you then, right? Jody then stops at an Arco gas station in Pasadena, California. She made the following purchase. She purchased 8.301 gallons of gas with her debit MasterCard. Four minutes later, she purchased 9.59 gallons of gas with cash. Then at some point during this drive, she took the battery out of her cell phone and put it in the glove box so it wouldn't ping anywhere. Because again, she's going to Mesa. On June 4th at 4 a.m., Jody backed her car into Travis's driveway. She removed her front license plate with a screwdriver. She packed away in her stuff. And she went in through the front door, which was unlocked. 
And I'm sure if it wasn't, she would have just climbed in the doggy door anyways, but whatever. Right. Jody said Travis was awake and excited to spend time with her. Now, later, there is like this varying story, and we're not sure if Travis was or wasn't awake, because then later she says, like, he woke up and asked her what time it was and then asked her why her hair was brown. And she's like, because and it's 4 a.m. And then he rolled over and went back to sleep. So I don't know if he was or wasn't awake, but I mean, whatever. From here on out, we only know Jody's version of the story and then what forensic science can tell us, like, forensically what happened, because Travis is no longer alive to tell his side of the story, obviously, and his roommates are not home. So Jody and Travis locked the doors to the master bedroom in the top floor area. They slept until the next day around 1 p.m. Jody woke up and she wanted to be sexual and playful with Travis. So she started braiding her hair in pigtails. She started doing sexy strip teases for Travis. She showed him that she bought a new digital camera and reminded him, you know, she just loves photography so much. It's such a big part of her life. So she's like, let's do a photo shoot. I'm going to strip. You'll take photos of me and then I'm going to pose naked for you on the bed. The photos quickly led to let's just have sex, right? So they had sex and they lounged around, were lazy, spent the day in bed together, things like that. At around five o'clock, Travis got ready for work um, because he had like a work video call at 7 p.m. And so he's like, I'm going to go shower. Jody's like, OK, sure. Um, I'm just you know, going to whatever I'm going to do. And. <laughs> Jody went downstairs. She locked the deadbolt to the home. She checked the whole house, tried to make sure they were alone, make sure the roommates weren't home. She then grabbed a kitchen knife from the butcher's block and she hid it in the waistband of her pants in the back, like on, on the back side of her, you know, like. And then she head back upstairs, but she stopped. She turned around. She locked up Travis's dog so that it was a cage and unable to come up to the room. Jody said, and again, Jody's story. We're all just living in Jody's life right now. Jody said she could hear Travis singing in the shower. It was so freaking cute. So she grabbed the camera and just had to go record videos of him and take pictures, right? There were no videos found, by the way. It's just pictures, but the camera was making like a beeping noise every time, like a little like shutter beeping noise every time she took a photo and it alerted Travis and he like turned around and he's still in the shower and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And she's like, you look so beautiful. You look like a model. I want to do a sexy photo shoot of you like you just did of me. And Travis is like, oh, OK, like, I mean, I just took one of you. Yeah, OK. So she starts taking these photos, right? And in the middle of taking these photos, all of a sudden something happens. Like, because the next photo we get is going to be really weird because we'll talk about the photos. And Jody must have grabbed the knife from her waistband, pulled it out, and stabbed Travis through the heart directly in the chest. Travis tried to push Jody off of him, which removed the knife, and he started bleeding profusely everywhere. He was starting to wrestle with Jody and trying to get the knife away from her while the camera hit an auto timer and started taking random photos. While fighting for the knife, they both like had their hands around the knife at certain points and it started cutting up both their hands and arms really bad. Travis managed at some point to must have like get Jody off of him enough because he did get out of the shower and he got up enough to somehow be leaned over the sink or something where his blood was dripping and pouring onto the sink. Forensics say he was probably like staggering around and he was trying to balance himself there, probably. But he was bleeding so heavily from the chest, he wouldn't have been able to gather su super like a lot of composure. It would have been like woozy at that point. 
At this point, Jody started stabbing him in the back repeatedly. Travis tries to again escape somehow. But he collapsed in the hallway while losing significant amount of amounts of blood. This sounds like this whole scene is like wild. It's also a matter of three minutes, this whole thing. So while laying in the hallway, losing blood, Travis is essentially either so close to the brink of death or dead. Jody walks over to him, kicks him in the face, breaks his nose, and then slits his throat so deeply it severs his windpipe and causes a slash mark that's wider than like his ears. Like it's like slashed through his neck. She then drags his body into the shower while she has the scraped up hands and everything. Remember, she pulls out the 25 caliber gun, which she stored in her bags. Convenient. The missing 25 caliber gun, right? Convenient. And shoots him in the head. And then she starts to clean up the seat. While cleaning up the scene, Jody washed herself up, changed her clothes and put bandages on her fingers. This is when she realized how cut up she was. And she realized that she probably got some of her own blood onto Travis while dragging him into the shower. So she fills like a cup thing in the bathroom with water and attempts to clean his body. That, okay. Jody <laughs> then strips the bed, takes the sheets, some of Travis's dirty clothes, things like that, takes him down to the laundry room. She then starts to delete some of the pictures from the night before. And she puts the camera in the washer with the items, adds a bunch of bleach, and starts the washer up. Also, if Travis's, like, sheets were colored at all and she just adds a bunch of bleach, wouldn't people think that's, like, weird? Like, Travis wouldn't have done that. He's not stupid. But whatever. Okay. Around 6 p.m., Jody then left Travis's house. So she had ample time to clean up. She doesn't. She then puts her cell phone battery back in. She realizes she has a bunch of missed voicemails from the Ryan guy. And he was, like, worried that she hadn't arrived yet because, like, she should have been there by now, right? So she calls him and she's like, I was so tired while driving that I went the wrong way on the highway. And I went super out of my way. I'm going to turn around. I will be there soon. I'm so sorry. So she turns around, you know, she starts going to Utah. While driving, Jody starts calling Travis and leaving him voicemails. She's telling him she loves him. She misses him. She asks him what he's up to. She just wants to say, hey, things like that. Knowing damn well this man is dead, right? She ends up arriving at her friend's house, uh, the the guy, Ryan, at June, on June 5th at 10.30 a.m. That day in West Jordan, Utah, where she's at with him, she gets pulled over, okay? Because a police officer named Michael Galati pulled Arius over because she was in a rented vehicle and she was going to see Ryan again and her front the front license plate of the car was missing and the rear license plate was upside down. Because remember, she's stupid. Whoops. Because so, <laughs> remember, she's stupid. She's actually really smart, which is the worst part about this. But Jody said that it was some kids that were like fucking with her at Starbucks and she's really sorry she'll fix it. She gets to Ryan's house and she's like, Ryan, can you help me? Ryan fixes Jody's license plate. And the guy ended up not citing her for the infraction. So she got away with it. Then her and Ryan fooled around and then she drove back to her grandparents' house. What? <laughs> the same day? Yes. Fuck that. Also, I'm sorry. She didn't go to the PPL, like the event, whatever she was supposed to go to. But also, you just murdered some man and you're like, hey, let's get frisky. And then she leaves. Supposedly, they didn't have sex. But still, like, excuse me? All right, whatever. Um, We have a record that the same MasterCard was used on June 6, 2008, three times at a Tessero gas station in Salt Lake City. 
one at P- Pilot J uh, Flying J's in Winnemucca, Nevada, and then one at 7-Eleven in Sparks, Nevada. So the drive home, right? <clears throat> so nothing happened in the case at first. Travis's roommates, Zach Billings and Enrique Cortez, realized that they didn't even think Travis was going to be in the home. Um, they didn't even think that Travis was there, let alone dead. Like they thought he was in Cancun because remember, he was supposed to be leaving for Cancun soon. The roommates knew about that, and he often went on trips without saying goodbye. So they were like, you know, it's no surprise if we just don't see him for a few days. So uh, no one found his body until June 9th. He was he was he was he was murdered on like the fourth slash fifth. Right. No one found his body until the ninth. Supposedly, it's because the AC was turned up super high in the house. So no one noticed the decaying body. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. I've heard other stories where people don't notice decaying bodies. But then you have people like uh, um, um, Pogo, the clown's wife, John Wayne Gacy, who's like my house every day smelled bad. And he blamed on like a rotten sewer line. I don't know. I've smelt the smell of death and it's not you. It's real. (laughs) I can't like I can't even describe it. Mimi Hall was worried because she realized Travis missed the Cancun trip. And so she called in a wellness report, which also like. Yeah, like how come no one else noticed? Apparently, people noticed he didn't make that 7 p.m. call, but they didn't think anything of it. They were like, maybe he got busy or something. I don't know. I think I would have noticed that at least called him, noticed he hadn't answered for a few days. Whatever. So the roommates and the police during the wellness check went upstairs and they noticed the door was locked. So first they had to search for a key to the master area. And then when they were looking around the house, they noticed some things. They noticed it was weird the that originally his dog was kept downstairs because normally the dog's not locked up like that. So they were like, well, that was weird. But, you know, it was just that one day, whatever. Then they were like, well, also that day, like furniture was moved around in our house. But, you know, like, I, I guess whatever. Also, there was a shop vac in the middle of one of the rooms, which is super weird because everything's normally always put away. And like, that's not where that goes. <laughs> but otherwise, nothing was weird. Right. OK. OK. So Detective Esteban Flores was the first one on the scene. And on June 9th, just before midnight, he shows up and he said it was something straight out of a horror movie. There was blood literally everywhere. And I've seen these photos. I don't suggest going and looking for them. They are gruesome. The digital camera photos. And it is as bad as you think it is. I didn't know I was looking at a dead body at first until I saw them. And I was very upset when I realized what I was looking at and like the blood and stuff. So there was a 25 caliber bullet casing on the ground. And I hate this sentence, but I really have to use it because it's the only thing that makes sense. Travis was stuffed in the shower with blood all over. Now, it was like one of those standing shower things. And his body was crunched up, like sitting down, stuffed in it. Yes. Yeah. That's why I use that term. Like it's disrespectful sounding, but it's the only way to say it. Flores noticed things like there was, you know, like blood drips on the front of the wash. Uh, I'm sorry. He noticed there was blood drips on the sink, things like that, and a partial bloody handprint on the wall. When he was leaving, he noticed blood drips on the front of the washing machine. So he's like, you know, for shits and giggles, I'm going to look in there. He opened it up. He saw that the sheets that were missing from the bedroom were in there. He's kind of just like looking through them, seeing if he sees blood or anything. But instead, he finds a digital camera. He decides, you know, we should probably take that in for evidence. We'll see where it gets us, right? The two roommates instantly told police their first suspect should be a woman named Jody Arias. They said that Jody is his crazy stalkerish ex. 
who all the time hacks his Facebook, slashes his tires, all this crazy stuff. Literally, while this man is having this conversation and he's like, oh, she does that. Oh, OK, that's crazy. That's crazy. Oh, hold on. My phone's going off. He looks down and the fucking caller ID is Jody Arias. Literally, while he's on the scene having this conversation with the roommates about crazy bitch, crazy bitch calls. What? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to take that phone call. There's no fucking way. So he doesn't answer the phone. But later he calls into the police station and he's telling them about like what he's sending back. He's like, you know, we found a digital camera. We found this, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, by the way, you have a bunch of messages from a woman named Jody Arias who's trying to speak to an officer. She said that um, her ex-boyfriend might have been might have had something happen and she wants to know what happened to him. So he's like, what the fuck? OK, right. So he goes back to the station. He says he's going to call Jody, but he's like, this needs to be recorded. Something's off. So he calls Jody and Jody starts like literally over talking to him about everything. And she's like, we had this wild relationship. It was super toxic. He cheated on me. He was mean to me. He was verbally abusive. She starts telling him everything about their relationship, about like how he was over the top sexual with her, all this stuff, how he never wanted to commit to her, all this stuff. And then at the end, Flores is kind of like, okay, yeah. By the way, when was the last time you like saw him? And when was the last time you spoke to him? And she's like, well, I moved away in April and I haven't seen him since then. But I do remember the last time I talked to him. It was June 3rd between 8.30 p.m. and 10 p.m. I was driving to Utah. <laughs> and he's like, wow, that's um, interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, what do you guys talk about? And she's like, well, Travis kept asking me to visit, but I told him I couldn't. And I hadn't seen him since April. So I didn't know, like, if it would go over well visiting him or not. The phone call was 41 minutes long. And at the end, they were like, OK, do you know anything else? And Jody's like, actually, I do. I know who did it. I think it's this ex roommate Travis had. And she like tells the story about, you know, that that ex roommate from the beginning that was too forward with women. She's like, he did it. Flores was like, oh, that's crazy. Hey, did he have any weapons in the home, specifically like a gun? And she's like, his only weapons were his two fists. Okay. The man's like, yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to let you go now. And he literally is like, so Jody Arias killed him. <laughs> right. <laughs> like she is involved. He didn't know how, but he knew Jody Arias was involved. On June 12th, the autopsy is performed by Dr. He Kevin Horn. There were a bunch of different reports about it because he couldn't quite place how many stab wounds there were. He ranged it from 20 to 30. In the end, he wrote down potentially 27 stab wounds. He talked about the uh, gun, the gun hole, bullet hole in his head. He also talks about how Travis was probably stabbed first in the chest. And this initial wound went through his heart and he probably would have only lived a few minutes due to blood loss. So him fighting back and everything was pure adrenaline and he wouldn't have lived. They also made note that breaking his nose, kicking him in the face, the shooting, the slitting the throat, the stabs to his back were technically all done in rage and overkill because the probability of Travis surviving the first stab and even trying to go get help or calling for help would be slim to none, especially with Jody still being in the house. Like he would not have survived and he wouldn't have survived long enough for the police to actually get there because of like due to where he lived, where police, anything there was, there was no way. On June 19th, detectives were starting to salvage pieces of the memory card from the, the digital camera found in the washing machine. These photos showed an array of just things leading up to Jody being there, right? 
on the memory card, the first photo was from 1.40 p.m. It was with Jody with the braids and she was nude and it was during the striptease moment photo shoot thing. And yes, all these photos are online also. She, in fact, does have very fake boobs. <laughs> <laughs> also, there are photos of a nude Travis around the same time frame. I uh, I didn't search that one out, but that one pops up too. But I will say, slightly respectful of the internet. I didn't search very hard. I'm sure I could have found them if I wanted. But when you Google the digital cameras for Jody, the nudes pop up instantly. When you Google the nudes of Travis, they're all censored. That's at least a little respectful. Yes. I'm, sh- I'm, I'm sure not all of them are, but I didn't seek out. So just let's only use those. There were over 20 photos on the phone that ranged from 522 to 530 p.m. These were the photos of Travis in the shower, still alive, different poses. He is um, he has the same eyes as Saber. He has very sad eyes. Oh, and like these photos are chilling because even though, you know, he's alive, it's his last moments and he doesn't know that. And he just has such sad eyes that it makes looking at these photos even more sad as he's like standing under the water looking sad, knowing that this woman that he on and off was in love with is about to murder him. At 5.31 p.m., which is 44 seconds after the last shower photo, there is an accidental photo of a blurry shower ceiling. That's when the auto timer must have turned on. And that's when I said that incident happened where she like lunged, grabbed the knife, all that stuff. The next photo is a minute later. It's Travis on his back in the hallway, covered in blood. The final photo is another minute later at 5.33 p.m. And it is of Jody dragging Travis's dead, bloody body back to the bathroom. That photo has been taken off the Internet um, for good reasoning. A lot of people say they can't find it anymore, and I think it should stay that way. So if you can find that photo, just pretend you can't and don't try. Please and thank you. On June 26th, forensic came back with blood tests, specifically on the bloody palm print from the bathroom hallway. DNA revealed it to be a mixture of Jody and Travis's blood, which completely solidified to police. Jody is lying about not seeing Travis since April, which I mean, they knew from the camera, but now they specifically have her in the home at the time of the death. Also, like, yes, we knew that from the pictures, but now we have actual evidence. DNA also showed that there was one of Jody's hair found in the blood pools in the bathroom. There were also bloody fingerprints that matched Jody at the crime scene, and also some of the blood in the sink was hers. Jody was indicted by a grand jury of first-degree murder on July 9th, 2008, a.k.a. her 29th birthday. <laughs> huh. I love that. That sucks. Detective Flores ended up arresting Jody at her grandparents' home on July 15th, 2008. Flores questioned Jody originally to hear her side of the story. He asked her, why did the trip go awry? Like, why did it take you so long? Why didn't you show up in Utah when you said you would? Why did you use the gas cans? Why did you lie about being at Travis's? Like, he was asking everything. Jody was like, well, I didn't go to Mesa first off. Like, that didn't happen. She then explained to Flores her version of the road trip. What happened? How she got lost? She draw. She drew him a map. She kept trying to explain it. Finally, Flores like cut her off, and he's like, "Okay, how about this? Um, there's evidence that you were in Mesa during the murder, and I know it." And she's like, "No, that that didn't happen." And he's like, "Okay, fine. Okay, this isn't go- getting me anywhere." Um, here's a picture of you there that day. He like showed her the nude with the timestamp, everything in Travis's bedroom, and he's like, "What about this?" And she's like. Oh, well, that's edited. Someone photoshopped my face. <sighs> okay, Jody. So Flores is like, okay, uh, 
Okay, what about this? Um, your hair is in his blood in his home. And she's like, okay, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute. Um, <laughs> you're right. I was there. I lied. Here's why. So she originally told the police that she had not been in the home at Travis's death, right? Now she's like, okay, I was there. And what actually happened was two intruders broke in the home, tried to rob us. There was a man with a gun and a woman with a knife. They killed Travis. They attacked me. Um, the woman wanted to kill me. The man said no. They took out my like ID. They started saying like, I know where you live now. They were threatening her family. They told her she had to get up and leave right now. She couldn't, she had to grab her shit and leave now. And she was so scared they were going to kill her family that she just like blacked out pretty much, got up, left, drove to Utah in a fit of rage or fit of fear, I guess. And she was so scared she couldn't tell anyone. So that was the story she's going with now. Two robbers, right? Mm-hmm. So Flores is like, God damn it, bitch. Fine, whatever. You're just, <laughs> you're getting extradited. So she gets extradited back to Arizona on September 5th, 2008, where she pleaded not guilty on September 11th, 2008 on her arraignment. She continued the story being set up by two burglars. And this case was popular, dude. It was all over the media. The Huffington Post wrote an article about it. It was featured on an episode of 48 Hours where Jody actually gave an interview that was later used in the trial. And that was the first time ever that like that happened, like a 48 hours type thing was used in trial and like played and used as evidence. It was a big deal. On September 24th, 2008, Inside Edition interviewed Arias um, at the Marsacopa County Jail. And she stated, this is a Jody Arias quote, guys. <laughs> no jury is going to convict me. God knows I'm innocent. Travis knows I'm innocent because I am innocent. You can mark my words on that. No jury is going to convict me. You can mark my words on that. Meanwhile, claiming her innocence the entire time. Spoiler alert, a jury convicts her. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> what now, bitch? <laughs> Jody had to have an IQ test at one point to gauge her IQ level and like her stability and stuff. She said she was going to score the same thing as Einstein. Mind you, like she thought so highly of herself because she's brilliant enough to get away with this, right? Like she thought of herself as Einstein level. In the end, she got 119. The average score is 85 to 114. Above average is 115 to 129. Gifted is 130 to 144. And a genius is anything 145 or higher. So she is above average technically. And Einstein wasn't around with IQ tests, but they say if he would have taken it, he would have gotten well over 160. So just like a little off, little off. But still, she is actually really smart. Yeah, I feel like that average is really low. But again, like, I don't know. I've never taken an IQ test. I want yeah, to. I want to compare myself to a lot of these serial killers just to see like where they fit on the diagram. Yeah. Like, I just want to know, like, you know what I mean? It would be nice because I know like I think it's Ed Gein or someone where his was in like the 80s or 90s. Like it was very low. It was below average for right. sure. So I just want to know where I stand. Watch I like score something really low. I'm like, well, I'm never telling anyone that. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. On October 31st, 2008, deputy of Marsacopa County prosecuting attorney Juan Martinez. That's a sentence. That is a sentence. Imagine that on a business card. <laughs> he openly stated he was going to seek the death penalty for Jody Arias in this case because... She misguided police. It was a calculated murder. She never felt guilty. She covered her crimes and the heinous nature of how she murdered Travis all was a big deal. He opened his statement in court by saying, this is not a case of whodunit. The person who committed this 
killing sits in our court today. It's Jody Ann Arias. Pretty intense for an opening statement. Yeah, a little bit. February 10th was the original date set for the trial, but before that happened, Jody had to talk to the police, she said. She said uh, she forgot to tell them something. February 2010. What is it? 10th. February. Oh, oh, February 2010. <laughs> the year was 2010. I don't know what day in February. My bad, guys. You know I'm bad at dates. I can't read. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Dyslexia. Apparently. Finally, at this point, Jody was like, I killed Travis. Like, I got to come clean, right? So her story all of a sudden changes, and she tells everyone she killed Travis in self-defense. She was a victim of domestic violence. She had been sexually abused and domestically abused by Travis their entire relationship and past that. And what happened was Jody was on the road and she said Travis told her she had to come visit and she was too scared to say no to him because if she did, you know, she would get in trouble. And so she went and visited him and it came down to where he was being sexually advancing and other things. And he tried to attack her and she had to kill him in self-defense. Now, she says that that day her and Travis had a sexual day. He tied her to the bed. You know, they had violent sex. But then when he went to go shower, he asked Jody to come take the photos of him. While taking the photos, Jody must have dropped the camera, she said, and it resulted in the upside down blurry photo. And when the new camera fell, it fell in water and it broke. And this upset Travis so much. He was in an angry, violent reaction, fit of rage. He came at her. He knocked her down. He started standing over her and threatening her. Jody was so scared, she managed to get up, grab Travis's gun from his closet, which, mind you, she told the police he doesn't have weapons in the home. And she attempted to threaten him, but she never wanted to actually do it. And the gun accidentally fired. It wounded Travis. And that caused Travis to scream that he was going to fucking kill her. And Jody just blacked out. And the only thing she remembers is then being halfway to Utah and getting a call from a mutual friend that Travis was dead and she didn't know how. Now, another thing that's interesting about that whole thing real quick is that he was shot in the head. Right. Like. That's not an accident. And the gunshot wound had very little, like, blood to where he would have had to been dead when the gunshot wound wounded him, like forensics say. So that's just very telling, but there it is. So at this point, Jody's kind of like, talking to the officer or like you know she calls the officer and she's like i didn't i didn't know that tra that not travis <laughs> yeah travis was dead like someone called me like a mutual friend called me that we just both happen to know and warned me he's dead which i don't know obviously but like the only mutual friends i thought they truly had was the hughes and right. the hughes hate her so right already this sounds unbelievable they would have been like nope jody did it <laughs> Unless it was more people that worked at like the PPL, because like maybe mm, someone called yeah. and said like, oh, he missed his meeting that seven o'clock meeting, you know, and then maybe she found out and then. But that seems a little crazy that their work would call like that. Like, it just seems unbelievable. After this, the court started contacting and like the detectives and stuff, they were contacting people that knew of Jody's plan to be on the road to like see if she made any slip ups, essentially being like, did she tell anyone she was going to go to Mesa? Did she tell anyone she's going to go to Travis's like anything? Now, Ryan Burns, that boyfriend guy, right? Him and his friends saw Jody when she was in Utah, which is after the killing, right? Remember, like the whole Starbucks thing and everything. So 
he was like, yeah, she had bandages all over her hands and she was wearing long sleeves while like on that day. And it was super hot out. Like everyone noticed that she was covering her hands and arms. Which, and it's like Utah. Yeah. Like, which like, why would super you? Be, hot, super hot. It's dry hot. heat. Yeah. Like, no, you're not doing that unless you're hiding mm, something. Yeah. She told different stories about how she received these cuts on her hands Ryan was told they were from an injury while working at a Margaritaville type restaurant. But at the trial, it was later revealed uh, by Siskiyo Sis- County, California. Um, the authorities said that no such restaurant exists in that area or ever existed in that area. So she was like making up her job even at the time. Siskiyo? Siskiyo. Siskiyo. <laughs> That is a word. <laughs> yeah, that's a rough one. <laughs> at the time of the killing, she was actually working at Casa Ramos in Eureka still. Because remember, she lived up in Eureka with her grandparents. So why wouldn't you just... I don't understand her. No, Margaritaville's cooler. Well, yeah, but you're going to get caught in the lie then. Right. If you're still working at Casa Ramos, like to me, that sounds like a restaurant. Like you're still working in a restaurant. You can cut your hands up. and stuff. Or even just be like, hey, I was outside gardening. I got like a bunch of like cuts and nicks. I was doing that. Anything. I have cuts and bruises all over my hands every day. All the time. I literally, right here, I burnt myself with a hot glue gun. Right there, I burnt myself with a hot glue gun. Right there, I burnt myself with a hot glue gun. (laughs) Three on one hand from one day hot gluing something. Right. Girl, you can lie about where these cuts came from. (laughs) Like, it's not the hard. Well, I mean, if they were like. Especially just keep your lies consistent at that point. Yeah. That's her problem also is she's never consistent and she loves to talk. Well, but the I can't even like think of that, but like grabbing a knife, you know? Well, yeah, you'd have to have some intricate lies, but still, (laughs) I don't know the you were cutting lemons at Casa Ramos. Oh, God, that would suck. Oh, fuck. Yeah, maybe not lemons. (laughs) Well, that would be the worst thing of your freaking life. In the end, I was going to say the (laughs) knife was falling and your initial reaction is to catch Catch the knife. Yeah, because I've done that while working in the restaurant. you have. And you know what? The kitchen staff was like, you're a dumb bitch. This is why you work in front of house. Don't come back here. (laughs) A few months after Jody had admitted the things and she was like, you know, it was self-defense and stuff. And she's still talking about that, right? You said it weird. Defense. I thought I said it weird, but I was like, no. Because it's self-defense. Yeah. I really enunciated it. (laughs) (laughs) In the bad way. Well, the prosecutors then received an email that had copies of these scanned handwritten letters. Okay, so it's a handwritten letter that someone wrote and then someone scanned it onto a computer and then that scan was emailed. Does that make sense now? I mean, yeah. Stupid, but yes. Okay, so there was these 10 emails and they were uh, from Travis to Jody. Okay, now these letters range from 2006 to May 2008 and in these letters Travis is talking about being attracted to young boys and that's why he likes anal sex and that's why he likes rough sex is because he can then imagine he's having sex with a young boy whoa where did that come from (laughs) 
So you're thinking, whoa, this took a weird turn, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, after a handwriting analysis, the letters are deemed to be fake. Huh. I wonder who would think that. (laughs) So they said the letters were forged. And it almost seems as if this is a giant lie brought out by Jody or someone that knows her to, like, make Travis look bad. Huh. Interesting, right? Jody lies since when? Also around this time, the Hughes came forward and they started talking about how they thought that Joey led them all. Joey. (laughs) (laughs) Jody. 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 Jody Arias, not Joey. (laughs) Jody had led them on a lot during the relationship and that she kept playing the victim. During court, Jody brought up the time how she described she saw him masturbating like Travis And what she noticed was when he was masturbating, he was looking at a photo of a young boy. So like she repeatedly tries to keep playing this victim like the Hughes said she would do. And she keeps playing the victim by pretending that Travis is a pedophile and sexually abusive towards her. But aren't they like around the same age? Like he wasn't. Jody and Travis were. Yeah, they were only like a short age difference. Okay. But he she's saying he only had sex with me because he can't have sex with young boys. So instead, he anal raped me. But he can't have sex with her either. (laughs) Technically, he's not supposed to be having sex with anyone. Right. He's supposed to be soaking. (laughs) But the motherfucker didn't want to soak. (laughs) He wanted vaginal intercourse. He wanted the real thing. (laughs) On July. No. (laughs) What is wrong with me? That one's not even a close. There's so many letters. <laughs> it just begins with a J and ends with a Y. Totally other letters in the middle. You got this. I have faith in you. On January 2nd, 2013, the trial officially began. During the trial, it was also brought up that over their the span of their relationship, Jody and Travis emailed over 82,000 times. Holy staying in constant crap. contact. Oh, my goodness. I don't, I don't I, even think I have that many texts between me and Corey. I was going to say, I don't think I've sent 82,000 emails in my entire life to, like, everyone <laughs> combined. I can't emails, even. Emails, nonetheless. And I'm sure these aren't short emails because, like, the few right. that we've seen are longer. That's a lot of emails. How long was their relationship? Like, a year? And if not even that. Oh, Really? Why did I think it was more like four years? Well, th- them itself were less than a year. But then like, you know, Mimi and everyone, their sexual relationships, all that happened. Oh, OK. Because they met in 2006, remember, in September of 2006 at the MGM. And then he gets murdered in 2008. OK. And he dated like three other girls during that time, remember? So like or two other girls. That's so- a fuck ton of emails. <laughs> In less than two years. Oh, my God. There's another case that it's all done over email, too. Someday maybe we'll talk about it. And it's like about this woman, this cheater. And it's a stupid case. Whatever. Anyways, uh, the whole pretty much like case is done over emails. And I remember one time listening to someone else talk about that case. And I was like, God, like these cases are from the early 2000s. Why are you guys texting? Stop. Like, you're making me mad. And the, the like, 
the amount of effort to email. Email! Because in that time, you didn't have it on your phone. No. We're really upset about the emails. This case has had so many upsetting things. We're upset about the fucking emails, Because you Jody. have to go all the way home to something that has some sort of internet, and you're getting on dial-up AOL. Well, and they're calling each other still every single night, remember? And right. they're driving five hours to see each other when they live apart. But then she moves, and she lives four minutes down the road and crawls in through the doggy door. Y'all need a but break. But still is emailing you guys at least daily. <laughs> No fuck? wonder you guys got sick of each other and had so many issues. <laughs> right. Jesus. Kylie, I'm going to email you every single day no, now. <laughs> they also in court discussed how Jody went to great lengths to stalk, harass, and attempt to ruin Travis' life during and after their relationship. The defense did the... I thought you said stalk her ass. Stalk, stalk her ass. Like two separate <laughs> words. Stalk, comma, harass. Her, her, harass, if you Stalk. will. Harass. <laughs> Are we going to make it tonight? Oh, no. Okay. We're stalking her ass. So the defense team did the time old method of dulling Jody down. So this is something we know to happen in a lot of cases where they turn a person into the Good old Christian loving person that would just wouldn't harm a damn fly. Why is she Southern now? Well, because Southern people don't harm damn flies. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, you've seen it in Casey Anthony. You've seen it in OJ Simpson. You've seen it in the Menendez brothers. They did the same thing here. Kylie, do you know any of those cases? I mean, vaguely. Okay. They are all extremely famous. That's why I listed them. Uh, They kept Jody with the dark hair. They gave her some like pretty blunt bangs she had her hair up for most of court she was like dressed really modestly and like fully covered up in like button-up shirts things like that and she was wearing these thick horn-rimmed fucking dorky ass looking glasses oh my god she was you know the the wholesome girl next door that would never hurt yeah you're gonna google her aren't you yep you have to Google blonde Jody and then you have to Google like the Jody in court because they're two different bitches somehow. Like they're <laughs> they're entirely different. Blonde Jody, I could see. I could see how Travis fell from her from across the room. You see court Jody and it's like. I would not notice her walking down the street. <laughs> not that I'm like, you know, interested in Jody areas. I'm just saying <laughs> I'm giving her a little too much credit here. Okay, I got blonde. No, let me. Oh, whoa. Two different people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Jody was on the stand for 18 days. That is a long time to be on the stand. Like, that's longer than Johnny and Amber combined. So she was on the stand alone for 18 days of it. Why? They had a lot to ask her questions. I guess so. Now, during day 17, the entire court day was pretty much that sexual phone call being played. And that's where I I started listening. And I was listening to like every few days. And I did not know day 17 was going to be that. And I started day 17 and then it, you know, started going. And I was in a work meeting, so I couldn't change which one I was on. So I just had to sit in my fucking work meeting listening to Jody and Travis have phone sex, you guys. <laughs> it was the worst experience of my life. They're both really bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just as awkward and just un unbearable as you could imagine. I don't seek. I don't think you should seek it out, guys. 
Um, Kirk Nurmi, one of the attorneys, and Jody had a conversation while on the stand. Kirk said, did you kill Travis Alexander on June 4th, 2008? Jody said, yes, I did. Kirk said, why? Jody said, the simple answer is he attacked me and I defended myself. So even on stand, she was still sticking with the, the uh, it was self, self, like I had to protect myself story. The lies. Yes, her lies. On May 2nd, the closing arguments had started during the trial. A lot of like questioning Jody's mental health kept coming up. And they did have different like psychiatrists and psychologists and different people like that come up because everyone was pretty sure that Jody had borderline personality disorder and that that's why she did the whole mirroring aspect most of the time, because that is a very common. Um, what is it called? Like a, a characteristic of that. Mm -hmm. But uh, it wasn't fully settled if she was or was not mentally well. They she was not mentally well. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, OK, you're not wrong. On May 8th, 2013, after 15 hours of deliberation, Jody was found guilty of first degree murder. Bro, you got to Google like YouTube when they tell Jody she is guilty. She is shocked that that they say that. And people in the courtroom boo it. There are people in the courtroom that are like, no, or something like that. Like they are bummed. It is wild. What? So. Out of 12 jurors, five of them found her guilty of first degree premeditated murder. Seven of them found her guilty of both first degree premeditated murder and a fel felonious murder. So technically, um, all 12 of them agreed on the first degree on the first degree murder. Yes. Sorry, I, I can't talk. <laughs> um, Jesus. And then um, only seven of them agreed that it was felonious murder. Now, that isn't the like biggest deal because they can still convict her since they all technically agree she's guilty. But here's the issue is um, they also have to agree on what is going to happen to Jody, right? Because remember, the attorney really, really wanted the death penalty on the on the case. So as the guilty verdict was read, Jody struggled to repress tears. She was really unhappy, but. The best part was Travis's family was there and they were like smiling and hugging each other. They were so happy that they were getting like that sense of closure. People had gathered outside the courtroom and when they heard it, they started cheering and chanting and like making fun of Jody. And it's like on tape. You can look it up and you can see it on YouTube. But literally people are like, yeah, fuck Jody. <laughs> on May 23rd, 2013, though, it was declared a mistrial. Of course it was. Now, Jody was still found guilty, so we still know she's guilty, but she is now just going back to like her regular prison at this point, or she might have even been in jail at this point. I can't technically remember. But since the jurors couldn't come to an agreement on if she should or shouldn't get the death penalty, it got declared a mistrial. While in jail in late January 2013, artwork was being drawn by Jody Arias. She started selling it on eBay and making money. Her brother would come to the jail and help her sell the art. And he claimed that the profits were going towards covering the family's travel expenses to go to the trial and to get better food for Jody while she was in jail. I don't think she deserves it, but like, ugh, all right. Also, there's this wild interview you can watch online. You guys, it's wild. You can definitely tell that Jody's cellmate was in love with Jody while they were cellmates. All right. 
<laughs> so Jody, uh, it's it's only like an eight minute interview, just like YouTube Jody Arias is sell me. It's fucking ridiculous. So Jody also liked to tattoo people while in jail to make extra money. So she would crush up pencil lead and she would, you know, put it in them. Okay. Kylie looks bewildered. She did not know how prison tattoos go. I just realized in this moment. Actual lead? Yeah. That's a good idea. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to describe this video for a second. This lady's like, yeah, being cellmates with Jody was just, it was bad. But the worst mistake I've ever made, granted, remember, there is a woman in jail telling you this story. She's like, the worst mistake I ever did was I let Jody tattoo me. And you think that her sentence would stop there. No, no. She goes, I let Jody tattoo me six times. Then again, you would think her sentence stops there. No, she goes, the worst one was when I let Jody put her name on me. <laughs> what? And she like has one across her chest. She has one on her arm. She has one on her ankle that says Jody Arias with like flower on it. She has them all over. She has like six random tattoos from Jody. They're as terrible as you can imagine, right? Okay. Yikes. It's an inside edition episode. That's what it is. I remember now. So J- Jody tattooed her old cellmate, Tracy Brown, six times, and she put Jody Arias on her body. And then Tracy tells this lovely little story about how one night they were having a heart to heart and Jody was just like, yeah, I uh, I killed Travis. Did you know that? And she just tells her all about it. But then she also tells her like this other wild story. She's like, when I went there to kill him, I wasn't actually going to kill him. I was going to kill someone else. But he just got in the way, so I accidentally had to kill him instead. What? Who else were you going to kill? I know, right? It gets wilder the more this bitch talks. I wonder if she was planning on killing Mimi. Oh, that's actually, that's another theory. There is a theory that she was going to kill the girl, the ex the girlfriend, Mimi. I don't know what to call she it. She didn't know that they were exes. Yes. But so uh, there the is girl. a theory about that. Yeah. There's also a wilder theory that we're going to get to in a minute. Okay. Jody ended up having a second trial on October 1st in 2014. The new jury couldn't come to an agreement and it was declared a mistrial. Oh my God. <laughs> Just fucking agree, damn it. So with two mistrials, it now gets left up to the judge at that point because like that's that's the rule. So the judge removed the death penalty first and foremost. Because if no one else can agree on judges like fuck that. On April 13th, 2015, Judge Sherry Stevens sent Jody to life in prison. Jody tried to appeal numerous times. She said there were combative issues with the prosecutors and how they questioned her. She also said it was a circus trial by media and it's unfair for her to get an unbiased trial because of it. She's kind of right and kind of wrong, which is the worst part. It was a circus show, but there was so much evidence she still would have um, been found guilty. But I think with the circus media and everything like that, if that didn't happen, here's my potential thing. I think the jurors would have been, I think the whole situation would have been toned down a little bit. And with it being toned down, I think the death penalty would have gotten removed on its own. And then I think the jurors would have agreed to life in prison. And then with her only having life in prison as the first thing that they give her, I think at that point, if she truly wanted to appeal at some point, she would have had the option. Does that make sense? I think it would have had a slightly different input without the circus media. Mm. Not saying that's a good idea. I'm just saying. Yeah. Now, with that going on, she has not won any of her appeals yet. So she currently lives her life in the Arizona Department of Corrections in maximum security. 
She does have appeals that she can use to get taken from maximum security to general pop. But uh, as what I have read, her last appeal was either 2016 or 18 or something like that. And it didn't go over, but I couldn't find if she's had any since then, which means one of two things, meaning she got it and everyone stopped talking about it or she hasn't had another opportunity to do it. So um, she's either in maximum security or general pop. And I just am not quite sure. Um, I found mixed things. Now, Jody still has a really devoted group of followers that think that it was self-defense and that it was completely innocent, right? There are even people that have created a new timeline story. And it is that Jody and her true love, Matt, from the very beginning of the episode, the Buddhist Matt. Mm-hmm. Do you remember him? Yes. Matt and her were so crazy in love that Matt didn't want her being with anyone else, apparently, even after he cheated on her. And he heard about how bad Travis was cheating, um, treating her and cheating on her and all that stuff. So he helped her kill Travis because he loved her. The same guy that cheated on her? Yeah. Okay. And the one that was like her ex-boyfriend's roommate, all that. Yeah, yeah. Buddhist, Buddhist Matt. Yeah, that's the other. That's totally what happened. But yeah, Jody still says not guilty. In Jody's mind, she is not guilty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she can have fun with that. So, yeah. You know who I would like to see in a relationship? No, this is a bad joke. It's a bad joke. I regret it already, (laughs) but I'm going to go with it. So I'm really sorry, everyone. Please don't hate us and don't stop supporting us just because this. Aunt Hample and Jody Arias. Let's see who makes it out of that relationship. I feel like they could work together because they would just get so mad at each other all the time. It would be like (laughs) they would just be in screaming fits all the time. And like their house would be made of rubber. Or he'd kill her. Or she'd kill him. Yeah, (laughs) see, that's why I'm saying it would work. They're both too psycho and they both don't want either one talking to anyone else on the planet. (laughs) So they just would like live in a little plastic bubble together. It could work. I just solved a murder. From Uh, happening. From happening. Yeah, wait, I didn't. Or I just created a a double murder. Right. (laughs) A crime of of double passion. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I'm trying to solve murders, guys. <laughs> With other murders. Yes. <laughs> so tonight I used a few different sources. I had talked about one of them earlier. I used the book Our Friend Travis, the Travis Alexander story, which is written by Chris and Sky Hughes. I really might read that one. It is really good, but it does have definitely bias moments. You can 100% tell. And also it it it. it has a lot of religious moments, I think, mm. that uh, it just makes me feel like they lean more towards kind of covering some of Travis's badness with religious things. They kind of like gloss over it. Um, I then read the book Exposed, The Secret Life of Jody Arias by Jane Velez Michelle. But then this is the book, guys. This is the one. If you're going to read one, read this third one. Are you ready? It's called Conviction, The Untold Story of Putting Jody Arias Behind Bars. It's by Juan Martinez, who is the prosecutor who convicted Jody, and he is ruthless. Ooh. That one's a good read. I like couldn't read the whole thing and get it done in time. That one was the third book I picked up, and I really am mad. So I think I'm gonna have to like actually read that one from start to finish because like 
It was one of those where it's worth he it. Go, he goes there. Yeah. Oh, he does. So. Now, you know who Jodi Arias now is. I know. Are you mad? You know, now <laughs> she's not a good noodle. I mean, my life really hasn't changed. Yeah. But now you could like, you know, if someone's pulling like a crazy stalker move, like, like, oh, stop being a Jodi Arias. Yeah. Or like if someone's crawling through a doggy door, you'd be like, hey, are you playing a Jodi right now? Stop playing a Jodi. <laughs> and you'll find that funny. And they'll be like, who's Jodi? And you're like. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. <laughs> and then you just pull up the archives. Yeah. Show them the episodes. Yep. Solving life. Solving, solving all the problems. Thank you guys for giving a listen tonight. We know this one was a little bit of a longer one. It was, it, it, it just, it has information. So we had to give it to you. It was like in that awkward moment or that awkward uh, time frame where it was too short to be two parts but but like not long enough too long for one part but we did it anyways (laughs) and just hoped that you guys stuck with us so thank you for listening all the way through thank you guys let's also give a thank you to damon vakovsky for our wonderful theme song our artwork is by taylor with lab monkey creative on instagram our editing is done by Corey with core.media.photography on instagram And we just love them so much. And we always want to thank them and tell them how great they are. So thank you. (laughs) You're missing a part. (laughs) Nah, I'm not. They're not part of the fam anymore. Well, I just, I say it every time. I don't even, they they know what they are and they aren't. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Okay. Thanks for being part of the family, guys. (laughs) Jesus. Don't forget to follow the Instagram at Cryptic Soup Pod, where our DMs are always open for suggestions. So slide on in. We're in the middle of a little bit of a rebrand, guys, for those of you that have noticed. And thank you to those that have given their feedback. Also, we just finally have really came into our own, Kylie and I have. And we are finally ready to start putting the most effort we can every single way, because we realize we put so much effort into the outlines and the episodes but we were failing on not doing that with like marketing and contacts and like things like that. So we decided, why are we only giving 75% when we can give 100? So thank you guys for sticking with us and just uh, keep your eyes on the horizon, as some pirates would say. <laughs> thank you guys also for any Apple podcast reviews and ratings or any Spotify ratings. And You know, if you do that, we'll always give you a shout out. We try to do it on Instagram as well, but we will always give you a shout out on the show. Um, But keep in mind, I tell you, thank you, whatever your username is. So be weary. (laughs) So be weary. Hotmama69 (laughs) at (laughs) hotmail.com. I am soaking for you at 6969. Someone please go make that right now. (laughs) (laughs) So guys, remember to subscribe, follow, tune in, keep up with us because we can't wait for you to join the conversation when we see you next Tuesday. Stay tuned. Oh god. Corey's bummed he didn't record that. <laughs> Just <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> leave now. <laughs> Did you test your mic? Did he test yeah. your mic? Did she Did test her mic? mic? Yeah. Okay.
more power to her. We'll let you know when we're done. We can do the trailer. Sounds good. Love you. Bye. Thanks, Captain. <laughs> That's not how you spell Buddhist. Budhast. Whoops. But it didn't. It didn't autocorrect me. You notice? Budhast is a word. Now, Sky. Oops. I punched the mic again. Like I'd love to do. I fucked up this whole sentence. None of everything I have said is true. Corey, fuck, get get rid of everything I said. <laughs> oh my god, I love that movie. <laughs> that's I what love I, him so much. That's all I think about is Heath Ledger just being like, yeah, full of a nipple, <laughs> like this whole time. Because <laughs> what else does Jody have, right? Other than well, uh, she's got implants, and and they put beer in them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. The Mormons don't like alcohol. Ah, shit. They put chocolate milk in them. There you go. <laughs> yep. <laughs>